You're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Gene and Chris, we've got a really fascinating episode to present to you today. We introduced a writer from the UK, Robbie Graham, and he has a book out that says everything in its title, and that is Silver Screen Saucers, How Flying Saucer Movies Might Have Influenced Our Popular Culture, and vice versa. A lot of questions to ask him to ask him first to start everything with Day the Earth Stood Still. Not the horrible remake with Keanu Reeves. Did you see the really bad remake of that movie? Uh, yes, I did. You agree with me, though? I don't think it was as bad as you make it out to be because uh, you hold the first in such high esteem. And, and I mean, it, it was one of the more pivotal moments in your life as a kid when you went and saw it. I didn't think it was that bad. Um, it really didn't come close to matching the gravitas and the impact of the first one, uh, obviously. But, you know, what can you do? The one thing I, I really would be interested in talking about today is how the pervasive sort of cultural meme of flying saucers uh, has survived intact all the way to the present and how that makes it very easy to, uh, at a glance, look at a uh, uh, an alleged photograph or film footage of a UFO and be able to tell right away if it's if it's real or not. Your typical 50s version, the Adamski kind of craft or the Billy Meyer beam ships uh, later, which were, you know, the second generation Adamski craft. I mean, it's obvious that these are not real craft. And we have the, uh, well, I think we have the day the earth stood still, earth versus the flying saucers. We have those films to to thank for creating a misperception in the public. And that makes it easy for us to to look at a, like I said, a photograph and, and determine that it's a hoax. Now, very interesting about Earth versus the Flying Saucers. This was a Ray Harryhausen special effects extravaganza. I thought they were really well done. By the way, one of the actors in Earth versus the Flying Saucers also played a role in Day There Stood Still. But that's not the point. Point is here that Earth versus the Flying Saucers was based very, very loosely on a real UFO book. All right. They bought one of the books from Major Donald Kehoe. And he mentioned in a subsequent book, he thought they were going to do a documentary. And maybe the first 30 seconds of Earth versus the Flying Saucers talks about UFO sightings in general, then it becomes a decent science fiction film of aliens on the loose. I thought it was a well done movie. A fairly low-budget movie, but very well done. I love the shot of the UFO crashing into the Washington Monument. (laughs) Only Ray Harryhausen can do things like that. I mean, this is before we were using digital special effects to create anything, from Supergirl flying to the Fortress of Solitude with James Olsen being held by her, to anything else, or the Flash traveling at a speed that he can traverse dimensions. You know, we have special effects are really well done today as all digital. You know, sometimes you have an actor in front of a blue screen or a green screen, but it's mostly digital. But here's somebody taking stop motion animation doing very well. Now, the special effects of the spaceship in They the Earth Stood Still weren't bad. They were fairly well done. But one interesting thing about it, one of the noted UFO contactees of the 50s and 60s, Howard Menger, showed 
paintings of the UFO. He was a sign painter. And some of them look like the spaceship taking off at the end of Day the Earth Stood Still. It's kind of amazing how that film so much influenced the contactees or was influenced by them. And I'll talk more about that film and the original short story on which it was based and a very interesting twist in that short story, Farewell to the Master by Harry Bates, when we talk with our guests. Now, we mentioned briefly because of the fact that a lot of the contactees came about after that film and were to some degree influenced by it. One of the examples is George Adamski. And funny thing happened about a month ago. I received a letter from somebody who wanted us to have an interview with Glenn Steckling of the George Adamski Foundation. The who? The what? Well, of course, George Adamski was one of the early contactees. He was, I guess he had a hot dog stand at the foot of Mount Palomar, where they had the observatory in California. And he claimed to have met up with an alien being named of Orthon, wearing a silvery suit, similar, I gather, to the uniform that Michael Rennie as Klaatu wore in Day the Earth Stood Still. And I'm thinking here, this case was exposed as a fake nearly 60 years ago. Would you believe that? In fact, we actually had the expose online at jimmosley.com. If you look for the Adamski expose issue, you'll see a very well-written summary where even the people who allegedly witnessed George Adamski in the desert, they said, well, you know what? Maybe we didn't see what we thought we saw. He claimed to have met an alien from Venus, a humanoid alien from Venus. Now, I don't know about you, but we all know that the surface conditions of Venus in terms of our space probes, what they've revealed, is a little too hot. It's like boiling water is an icicle on Venus, to give you an example. But that's where Adamski claims some of his aliens came from. You know, according to him, they were so hot, maybe, maybe they would have fit in on Venus. Who knows? Well, you see, that's what a lot of these contactees had. They had very pretty women. Men were handsome. Women were pretty. But they came from Venus because they didn't really know much about science, these contactees. And so they would present their message in the form of an alien because that was a cultural meme at the time. But Adamski was once quoted, and I think that's in the Adamski expose issue. It's been years since I read it, saying that sometimes you have to enter through the back door to express the truth. And he presented a belief of peace and brotherhood, no wars, no nuclear wars, that sort of thing. But if George Adamski expresses that point of view, ah, who cares? He's just a hot dog salesman, you know. But if it comes from the mouths of advanced extraterrestrials, maybe it has more credibility. What I worry about, though, is after all these years, people still believe Adamski In fact, I exchanged maybe eight or nine letters with the person promoting this Adamski Foundation website. And he didn't seem to have a grasp of any of these issues. Even when I referred him to the George Adamski expose issue, he said, well, it's just opinion. And I said, read it. It's pointing out that people who claim to have witnessed Adamski in the desert watching a UFO land didn't see that. That's not an opinion. That's a fact. Doesn't understand the difference. The one thing that I really kind of stumped him was when I said Adamski claims his 
space people came from Venus. We all know that's not possible, at least based on what we know about Venus. All right? That, I wrote a few days ago, never got a response. I think I ended it there because they can't answer that. But you see, there's a problem with the UFO field, and that is that no hoax goes punished. You can have a, a hoax, something that's proven to be a fake, and it just comes right back like nothing happened. People still think it's real. People still think there's some basis to it. And Georgia Dampsey's an example. Like I said, if you're on the fence or maybe you've read some books where people are in favor of Adamski, go look at the Adamski Expose issue from 1957 at jimmosley.com. And you read that and you'll get a good handle. Oh, by the way, the first part of Adamski's book, Flying Saucers Have Landed, has material from Desmond Leslie about ancient astronauts, which means that Leslie was one of the early people, ahead of most everybody else, even Eric Von Daniken, one of the early people to write about ancient astronauts. In any case, we have Robbie Graham, direct from his palatial estate or flying saucer, silver flying saucer, <laughs> in the UK, author of Silver Screen Saucers, with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> I know that a lot of our listeners are interested in UFOs, the issue of giant skeletons found in America, paranormal investigations, and what the top researchers think about such topics. One online magazine has been presenting such unusual information since 1985. It is Alternate Perceptions Magazine at apmagazine.info. Use their search function to find articles on just about every topic imaginable. That's apmagazine.info. Info. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. Are you tired of commuting to a job that makes someone else rich? Working harder than ever, but getting nowhere? Do you hate spending hundreds of dollars every week on daycare? Having someone else raise your children? With our opportunities, you can start earning money as soon as next week. You get to be the boss, work from home, and live a happier life. At Be The Boss Network, you'll find hundreds of work-from-home opportunities that you can literally start today and be earning money as soon as next week. Go to freedom106.com and start earning money as soon as next week. You get to be the boss. Get out of the rat race. Work from home. Go to freedom106.com right now and change your life today. That's freedom, the number 106.com. Go to freedom106.com and start earning money as soon as next week. You be the boss. Go to freedom106.com. Serious investors and traders want to make 81% return in 60 seconds? Use the same secret algorithm professional hedge fund managers use to make billions of dollars of profits. Turn $250 into $4,903 in just seven clicks of a mouse. 
Our tool is so simple that my 82-year-old grandmother can use it to make insane stock market profits. Go to BigBuckRiches.com. Watch the free video before the hedge funds make us take it down. Go to BigBuckRiches.com. From the Robert Allen System, current returns not indicative of future results. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with ReputationDefender.com. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with ReputationDefender.com. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation. Reputation analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with ReputationDefender.com. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Or visit ReputationDefender.com. Most of you know that heart disease is the number one silent killer in the U.S. What if I told you for just $54.95 a month you could fight against heart disease naturally? At Heart and Body Extract, we've been helping thousands of people get back to a healthier heart. Don't just take my word for it. Check out all of the success stories at hbextract.com. Or to order, call 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. hbextract.com. Don't risk it when you can take charge of it. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. The book is Silver Screen Saucers, Sorting Fact from Fantasy in Hollywood's UFO Movies. The author is Robbie Graham. And we welcome him to the Paragast. Thank you, Robbie, for joining us. Well, thank you, Gene. It's a pleasure. And I notice here that you have a like a foreword written by Bryce Zabel, who is an that's old right. friend of ours. He, of course, sure. was producer of Dark Skies. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, it's a privilege to have Bryce write the foreword for the book. And, of course, Bryce's own TV show, Dark Skies, that you just mentioned, that plays a significant part in the story of, of this book as well. So um, uh, we can get into that later if you're interested. I wanted to start with Day the Earth Stood Still. Sure. Because this movie had such an influence on popular culture, especially the way in which we viewed UFOs and possible alien visitors. And I mentioned in the previous segment, how Howard Menger, mm. who they called the Jersey Adamski, had paintings of UFOs that looked very much like the flying saucer that left at the end of Day the Earth Stood Still. It was directed mm. by Robert Weiss, who, by the way, also did Sound of Music mm. and the first Star Trek movie. And according to a friend of ours, Tim Beckley, Robert Weiss believed in UFOs. 
He did, that's right. Uh, he was also a friend of um, Paul Davids, the uh, writer-producer who made the 1994 movie Roswell, which really helped popularise the, the Roswell uh, event and, and pushed it further into popular culture. Paul Davids recounted having lunch with um, Robert Wise uh, one time and Robert Wise basically describing how during the shoot of that film, various men from Washington, scientists, engineers, approached him and told him various things about flying sources and it was through these conversations he had with these guys from Washington that he came to believe that this was something that was very serious and that was treated seriously by officialdom. Okay, this is Day the Earth Stood Still. Now, to go back, it was based on a short story called Farewell to the Master by Harry Bates. Mm. But there was a character named Klaatu and there was a robot by a slightly different name than Gort. Gort sounds better in a (laughs) sci-fi movie. But the robot was the master Mm. in the short story. They didn't have that twist because they were focusing on a message from Klaatu that we got to stop being warlike. Otherwise, we will be destroyed. Right. Now, a lot of that was added to the movie. It's only, I think, superficially close to that of the short story, right? That's right. Yeah. I mean, Hollywood always takes creative license when adapting short stories and novels you know some of these are necessary changes for, for the screen some of them are just uh, yeah as you say I think just down to artistic preference but I mean to address the I think the question that you were that you were hinting at there with the parallels between the reports of the early contactees and the details of the early flying saucer movies in order for me to address that properly I think I should start by saying that UFOs this is my position essentially you know UFOs are real in the sense that they exist independently of cinema and of pop culture more broadly. So, you know, UFOs have been investigated by governments around the world for almost uh, seven decades. And, you know, what the phenomenon represents is, of course, open for debate. And, you know, various theories have been put forward from secret military aircraft to otherworldly intelligences, natural phenomena. But the point is that even in a world without UFO movies, people would continue to report UFOs. So people were reporting UFOs and even specifically flying saucers long before Hollywood started to get in on this act. Basically, my position is that ufology, such as it is, informs Hollywood more than Hollywood informs ufology, which is to say that Hollywood engages with the UFO subculture in a parasitic fashion. It sucks on the veins of this 70-year-old subculture, and it grabs hold of fringe ideas, and it popularizes them through the science fiction genre. So terms like men in black, close encounters of the third kind, of the fourth kind, Area 51, Hollywood didn't create these terms. They were all part of the common language of ufology decades before Hollywood lifted them. Now, in Hollywood's UFO movies, then, broadly speaking, you can say that art imitates life. Now, when it comes to UFOs, I think it's fair to say that Hollywood produces depictions, albeit not faithful ones, of what people have actually reported. Now, that's not to say that what's been reported in ufology is necessarily true or accurate, and often it's not, but merely that Hollywood does see dramatic potential in these fact-based reports. So Hollywood does draw ex- extensively from this from this fact-based discourse. So the thing that I explore in my book is this notion of hyper-reality, where we are unable or unwilling to distinguish between fact and fantasy, and the role that popular entertainment plays in this process. So 
the existence of UFOs is already rejected by consensus reality. But the presentation of this UFO discourse on screen, and particularly within the context of the science fiction genre, a fantastical genre in a fantastical medium, this process serves to blur the boundaries between UFO fact and fantasy. Uh, and it leaves us in this permanent state of hyper-reality where UFOs are simultaneously real and unreal in the popular consciousness. We had movies other than The Day of the Earth Stood Still in the 50s. So, mm. for example, there is a film back in 1950, which is, of course, when Behind the Flying Saucers was released by Frank Scully and Major Keogh had his first book mm. on UFOs three years after the Arnold case called The Flying Saucer. It was mm. a low-budget movie where supposedly the CIA and the KGB get together to mm. investigate UFOs in Alaska. That's right. I remember this being was- a very dull movie. It's a very dull movie. It's the first UFO movie that was ever made. Yeah, as you say, it's very dull. It's a low-budget affair, uh, made it, uh, released in 1950, shot in 1949, so just two years after UFOs exploded into the popular consciousness following the Kenneth Arnold sighting of, 19, of June 1947. Interestingly, I mean, I'd say the only interesting thing about the film really is the fact that the flying saucer of the title eventually proves to be a Soviet creation, and aliens don't even get considered in the movie, which was kind of reflective of, of popular opinion about UFOs in the very early years and, and early months of, of the phenomenon in a number of public opinion polls that were taken. People seemed to, to be inclined towards believing that UFOs, if they were indeed real, were the product of foreign technologies or even uh, American technologies. Uh, aliens didn't really figure on people's radars and that didn't start to then change until towards the late 40s and then into the early 50s. And then by that time, the extraterrestrial hypothesis had sunk firmly into into popular consciousness, at least within the UFO subculture. And that's what stayed uh, to this day. That's what's really stuck, although other theories have been put forward. Um, so yeah, that was the first movie in 1950. Um, and that was a, you know, a very blatant attempt to cash in on this growing source of hysteria that had begun a few years prior. Um, so, but, but I mean, in, in order to, to address your... Um, question about uh, um, uh, the early contactees, you know, what what I say again about the influence and impact of UFO movies is that um, they are the dominant cultural force shaping our perceptions of of the UFO phenomenon. Um, they, They do so often without conscious intent, usually as a natural cultural process, but sometimes there have been efforts to willfully manipulate our perceptions of this phenomenon through through mass media. I want to ask you more about the day the earth stood still in our next segment, focusing primarily on the fact that military people Mm. were in the background in the creative process and whether there was a motive there or they just wanted to observe it or make decisions with regard to how the military was treated. I'll give you some other things about that movie that are very interesting. All right, so let's just get back into it here. Sure. So we have... Robbie Graham, author of Silver Screen Saucers, with Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
By now you know that wireless technology like cell phones do in fact pose dangers to the health and privacy of everyone. Blocket Pocket's wide range of products are unmatched in providing the protection you deserve. No scare tactics, just common sense. BlockitPocket.com offers quality American-made options to alleviate and eliminate these invisible dangers. Learn more at BlockitPocket.com or call 888-315-9618. BlockitPocket.com, enhancing health and privacy. Planning to buy food storage? Wait a minute. Many companies try to confuse you with the number of servings they sell. It's not about the number of servings. It's about the number of calories. In emergencies, calories mean survival. Go to ReadySupplyFoods.com for a comparison of leading companies. Ready Supply Foods sells the most calories per dollar of any company. Our 23 entrees and breakfasts are delicious and full of nutritious calories. The new leader in value and quality. Go to ReadySupplyFoods.com today. Biochemistry determines your mood, memory, energy, and endurance. Your body's primary metabolic function is to make protein. One World Whey is a unique, non-denatured protein. This enables your body to have virtually 100% utilization, whereas typical whey protein powders offer no more than 18% utilization of protein. One World Whey also delivers life-giving frequencies to your cells. The net result for so many people is improved energy, mood, and elimination of pain from inflammation. This technologically enhanced One World Whey has been really amazing for me. I'm 36 years old, and for the past several years, I've been struggling with lack of energy, drive, and stamina. And after just two weeks on this product, I'm feeling so much more energy. My yoga practice has deepened, and as a massage therapist, I'm able to see more clients than I've been able to in years. I've never felt results that quick with anything I've ever taken. Call 888-988-3325 or visit oneworldway.com. That's oneworld, W-H-E-Y.com. Paid non-attorney spokesperson Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with principal office in Houston, Texas is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention Zarelto users. If you or a loved one took Zarelto and suffered a serious bleeding event, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Zarelto is a popular prescription blood thinner used to prevent blood clots and protect patients from strokes. These serious bleeding events have led to numerous cases of hospitalization and even death. Phone lines are open 24-7. Call 800-261-0937. That's 800-261-0937. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. 75 years ago, America suffered one of the worst moments in American history, the attack on Pearl Harbor. Now you can remember December 7th, 1941, with the purchase of the first ever 75th anniversary Pearl Harbor legal tender solid gold coin from the U.S. Money Reserve. Call one 800 490 3200 right now for the official 75th anniversary Pearl Harbor legal tender gold coin from the U.S. Money Reserve, the only company authorized to distribute these 100% solid gold coins. Remember Pearl Harbor with this limited official gold release. 1-800-490-3200 or online at usmoneyreserve.com. My dad was 59 when he collapsed from a heart attack late last year. Just this past August was when we spread his ashes on the St. Croix River. I loved my dad, but boy was he stubborn. He hadn't been to the doctor in over 25 years. His excuse? 
He simply couldn't afford it. He wasn't a rich man by any means. At less than $107 per month, libertyoncall.org would have been the perfect alternative for my father. Don't wait. Go to libertyoncall.org right now for not just your sake, but for the sake of your loved ones. Again, that's libertyoncall.org. Hi, this is Ted Phillips listening to the Paracast, and it's as good as it gets, believe me. We have a second radio show we'd like you to listen to. It's called After the Paracast, and it can include interviews, anything that's on our mind, Chris and I, or color commentary. And we offer it exclusively to members of the Paracast Plus. We also give you the enhanced version of this show without the network ads, higher quality audio, and more features to come. A modest subscription fee. Check it out, plus.theparacast.com, plus.theparacast.com. The book is Silver Screen Saucers, Sorting Fact from Fantasy and Hollywood's UFO Movies by Robbie Graham. Returning to the day the Earth stood still, which was, I think, one of the best of the early UFO-oriented movies, and it seemed to influence popular culture. But, Robbie, I don't know if you know this fact. And that is, do you remember where Michael Rennie's Klaatu was shot down by the military in the later part of the movie? Mm-hmm. Off yeah. DuPont Circle? Mm. Do you know what UFO organization set up its headquarters very near that? I do not. NICAP. Major uh-huh. Keogh's organization. It was just off DuPont Circle, near the location where the character Klaatu was shot in that movie. Don't ask me how that happened to be. It may have just been a matter of having a rental available. How did that happen to be? Well, you know, NICAP wanted to be in Washington, D.C. They probably wanted something that was fairly inexpensive. It was a small suite of offices, not, not a real elaborate place. And that happened. And the first time I saw the movie, I didn't think about it. Later, when I finally visited NICAP headquarters, I thought to myself, this is near that location where they shot Klaatu. Yeah, I should have had that in the book, really. (laughs) You could have the second edition. You didn't talk to me. I didn't make a big deal of it. I think I've mentioned it on the Powercast occasionally. Now, I would have to go back and look at 1536 Connecticut Avenue Northwest and how close that was to the point at which Michael Rennie was shot in yeah. that film. There's just so many um, examples of of, uh, of kind of real life intersecting with Hollywood fantasy when it comes to UFOs. Again, I'm, I'm getting edging towards answering your 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 question about um, the parallels between between that movie and uh, uh, and some of the early um, contactee reports. And and I think again to to lead into it, what I, what I say is that the effect of cinema broadly, I think, is macro um, and indirect rather than micro and direct. So it can and does influence our beliefs and expectations, but not necessarily our direct actions, although that can happen. So I think more broadly, the effect of movies is soft and cumulative, but no less significant for that. So a, a non-ufological example would be if you are inclined to go and do a, a mass shooting, then you're likely to do that whether or not you've seen a movie featuring a mass shooting. If you're a psycho, you're a psycho. You know, Movies um, often don't directly influence um, behavior, um, but they can have a cumulative effect on our beliefs and expectations about the world, which of course can lead to then <laughs> direct action, but it's, it's usually not so observable in an immediate sense. Um, so 
I, when it comes to the contactees, Adamski, for example, Howard Menger, as you mentioned, um, I, I find it um, impossible to draw any conclusions where, where they're concerned. Uh, aspects of some of their testimonies I find interesting, even some of them vaguely convincing if they were to be separated from their more outrageous claims. But of course, we can't separate them from their more outrageous claims. So, um, But what I say is I don't automatically and totally discount the claims of people who are prone to fantasy, because if UFOs are ontologically real, which, um, you know, on some level of our perceived reality they seem to be, then surely these objects are also perceptible to fantasists. Now, in other words, even a fantasist can see a UFO. So getting back to the day the Earth stood still, and Robert Weiss mentioning the military participation, Mm. did they dictate at all the focus of the movie, which, of course, is kind of a peacenik point of view, which is you get your act together, Earthlings. But not completely, because it's a carrot-and-stick approach, because Klaatu says you either stop wars, mm. you can well, the join the Space Brotherhood, or we'll nuke you, or whatever they do to destroy us. Yeah. Well, the answer to that is, would be, have to be pure speculation, because we just simply don't know. All we have is Robert Wise's statements, second-hand statements, that he interacted with some people from Washington who advised him on various aspects of, of UFOs. And he came away with the conclusion that this was treated seriously in Washington, which, of course, we know it was from um, you know, officially declassified files. It's no secret that this was taken seriously um, by the powers that be in the early years. Um, so, so that's no surprise. Whether or not these people from Washington were acting in an official capacity, whether or not they um, drip-fed him any information or disinformation, it, it, who knows. What we do know is that going back to the very early years of, of um, Hollywood's engagement with UFOs, uh, m the military and intelligence communities in the United States have been very interested in Hollywood's um, depictions of, of this sensitive subject. And on numerous occasions throughout the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s and beyond, um, various branches of officialdom have sought to monitor and sometimes manipulate uh, UFO-themed products. Okay, this is just very interesting. And we go to the next film in the series, which I mentioned, that was Earth versus the Flying Saucers, which is a somewhat typical aliens on the loose, except that before they made that film, they bought a book by Major Donald Kehoe. Now, why would they mm. do that? Because in a sense, it's like the first 30 seconds of the film. Mm. Talk about UFOs. And then they don't. Is it, is yeah, it because they felt that the word flying saucers, because it's used in Major Keogh's books, was maybe owned by him and they needed to have the rights to use that term? I really don't know. Um, there's, there's very little been done on this. Um, this is the 1956 film, Earth versus the Flying Saucers, as you say, and it was loosely, very, very, very loosely inspired by Keogh's um, nonfiction book, uh, uh, flying saucers from outer space, which is which, a, ser a serious examination of, of of the subject, and it was um, the first UFO book I ever read. Right, so this and it was you know it was influential as well. A lot of a lot of Kehoe's work was influential, and he was taken seriously, um, uh, you know, or relatively seriously. And um, uh, but this film was an absolutely schlocky B movie, you know, with rubbery aliens and and, and flying saucers, done by um, Ray Harryhausen. Actually, I like the special effects of the. The saucers flying are good. saucers. I mm. thought that the aliens wearing these silly robotic suits 
yeah, the aliens are dumb. But actually, underneath the uh, underneath their robotic suits, they bear a, a, a quite an, you know, an uncanny resemblance to the now archetypal alien greys, these bald-headed, uh, black-eyed um, beings, uh, kind of spindly beings. So uh, that's an interesting element. Again, wh- you know how influential that has been on pop culture, or vice versa, is is hard to say. Well, we can um, always it, mention Whitley Strieber. We think Whitley Strieber was one of the early people to be in touch with possible spindly gray aliens. Mm. Mm-hmm. But we have a movie from 1956. I don't know how well that movie did at the box office. Well, these films were made for predominantly for teens at the drive-in, you know, these these B-movies. The, di- the, the only di- the, uh, the difference there was that The, the Day the Earth Stood Still in 1951, which was really the first serious movie ever made about UFOs. And, and um, uh, in 1951, you had two, fi- two feature films, two kind of major feature films about the subject, which was The Thing from Another World, um, directed by Howard Hawks, and, uh, and uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still. Uh, one alien came to kill us and one came in peace but also to kill us if we didn't <laughs> if we didn't become peaceful um so so these were the two films that hit us in 1951 and but then for the rest of the decade most of the films that followed were were these schlocky b movies as i say and and they had a very specific target audience um they didn't have uh, you know they weren't taken seriously they weren't award winning films by any stretch of the imagination um but i think it's fair to say that they did have um uh, cultural impact absolutely yeah. and uh, and these films certainly went on to influence a whole generation of Hollywood filmmakers, the likes of Steven Spielberg and others, who would then go on to make their own alien movies and have their own UFO obsessions. So they do have they do have cultural impact. We'll cover more of this in just a moment. Silver screen saucers. Really fascinated by this. And we have Robbie Graham to sort things out for us with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Conspiracy Journal is your number one source for the hidden world of the weird and strange. We bring you thought-provoking and controversial material for free-thinking individuals who are seeking what is really going on in our world today. Some of this material may adversely affect you. Other pieces are meant to enlighten. Either way, be prepared to be intrigued by such things as the reality of UFOs, ghosts, strange creatures from time and space, hidden conspiracies, time travel, Nikola Tesla, suppressed technology, and a whole lot more. You can find out more by visiting our website at conspiracyjournal.com. There you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter sent directly to your email address. Find out what they don't want you to know. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. Remember Pearl Harbor. Now you can buy, for the first time ever, the 75th anniversary Pearl Harbor legal tender solid gold coin from the U.S. Money Reserve. Call 1-800-329-6700 right now or go online to usmoneyreserve.com. 1-800-329-6700. 
800-268-6700. Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the best for you and your family. Since 2005, thousands have depended on Berkey Purified Water. The Berkey Guy provides the lowest-priced filtration systems in every size. For incredibly delicious water now and in an emergency, Get to GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653, 877-886-3653, GoBerkey.com. Owe $10,000 or more to the IRS? Get on board with the tax admiral. Don't pick on the IRS alone. I'll cut penalties and reduce your overall tax bill. Sometimes I can even get it zeroed out completely. We're an A-rated company helping people clean up their mess with the IRS. If you owe $10,000 or more, then call the tax admiral. Call 800-287-7180. Again, that's 800-287-7180. 800-287-7180. I'm Nick Soboleski, a select quote agent with a true story that could save you hundreds of dollars a year. A woman named Linda just called. Her husband, Ray, has a $300,000 group life insurance policy, but is changing jobs and can't take it with him. Well, I impartially shot the highly rated term life insurance companies we represent and found Ray, who is 41 and takes medication to control his cholesterol, a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $26 a month. That's almost twice the coverage for less than half of what he had paid. If SelectQuote hasn't shopped for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 1-800-403-4885. That's 1-800-403-4885. 1-800-403-4885. Or go to SelectQuote.com. We shop. You save. Get full details on the example policy at slowquote.com slash commercials. Your price can vary depending on your health issuing company and other factors not available in all states. This is Dan Pilla. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years. I've helped thousands and I can help you too. I wrote the book on IRS settlement and I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX to finally get free of IRS debt. With the IRS's new programs, there's never been a better time to solve your problem. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. That's 800-34-NO-TAX or my website, danpilla.com. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. Silver Screen Saucers. Exciting book. By Robbie Graham. Chris, you had uh, some comments to make. Yeah, I I remember um, attending a history of film class in college and my instructor making the um, observation that the Howard Hawks movie, The Thing from Another World, I believe was the full title, was the first film where the director insisted that the actors uh, step on each other's lines and talk over each other. And Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at historical film facts, that movie, the Hawks movie, is considered to be the first modern film in terms of dialogue not ending and then the next person speaking. Uh, it seemed more lifelike and, and actually created more tension within the, you know, the, the portrayal of the script. And mm-hmm. uh, I was, was uh, kind of fascinated by that. You'll notice in the remake uh, that was done in the 80s, I believe, or 1990 with uh, Kurt Russell. 82, yeah. Uh, yeah, 82. 
Okay, it was that long ago. Uh, they make a point of, of having a, a cacophony of dialogue uh, at points where you can't really understand what mm. anybody's saying because it's it's just so uh, it's over the top with people uh, stepping on each other's lines. I just thought I'd pop that little factoid out. I'll yeah, give you another one, another factoid. The person who played the thing. Arness. James Arness. The brother of Peter Graves from Mission Impossible, and of course, best known as Marshall Matt Dillon. <laughs> but yeah. he had to start somewhere. So in yeah. a sense, he started as a voiceless monster, just like Boris Karloff in Frankenstein in 19, what, 31, 32, mm. was a voiceless monster, except for going, oh, wow. The, the original thing from Another World in 1951 had um, parallels with, with, the, with Roswell. This was 1951, as obviously Roswell was 1947. But Roswell, as we know, didn't break into pop culture until, well, I mean, the story didn't emerge until the late 1970s. But then it was, it was another, you know, um, good amount of time, another decade at least before people started to really look into it in in, uh, in ufology um, and then it was uh, not until the early 1990s that um, the, it started to break big in pop culture and that was through Hollywood, that was through that was through the, uh, the, the Roswell movie that I mentioned and through the X-Files and other movies um, and it, so, so that took a long time to, to go from subculture to pop culture but, the, uh, but that film um, The Thing from Another World did have these striking parallels because what you had was um, in the narrative of that movie a UFO crash in a remote location uh, a team sort of uncovering the the wreckage um, recovering a body um, and you've got the press uh, in that movie trying to expose the story and the military trying to cover it up so you've got some of these these you know these broad parallels and um, which have been observed by various researchers and some speculate again that this was an early attempt to kind of leak some kind of truth uh, through Hollywood um, there's a lot of speculation about what role Hollywood has played in shaping popular perceptions of UFOs and whether or not any of these movies contain factual information, kind of inside information, shall we say, and whether or not this information has been sort of seeded by uh, intelligence agencies, by the military, etc. Um, so it, it's it's hard to draw conclusions where it, when it comes to the idea of a Hollywood UFO conspiracy. Um, it's not so hard to to make statements along the lines of yes, Hollywood has certainly been um, influenced by by various branches as, uh, of officialdom. When it comes to the agenda, that's that's harder to pin down. Well, of course, if you want to look at parallels, we go to Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It was loosely based on a book by J. Allen Hynek. Yeah, The UFO Experience, yeah. And, excuse me? The UFO Experience, I believe. And Hynek appears towards the end of the film, where the flying saucer is making its landing approach, and you see him kind of That's striking right. his chin. Yeah. And you have also other possibility characters that yeah, well, we have the Francois a- Truffaut character, and the character's name on- is Claude Lacombe. Yeah, and he was. May have on- been loosely based on Jacques Vallée. Well, he was. Yeah, he was based on Jacques Vallée, and um, uh, you know, um, Jacques Vallée wanted to. Uh, to convince Spielberg to go down the line of interdimensional uh, beings rather than extraterrestrial. Uh, he consulted with Spielberg, had lunch with him during the production and development of the movie. And, you know, because, of course, Spielberg wanted Valet's perspective on it because, of course, you know, Valet was and continues to be 
uh, one of the most thoughtful and influential people in the field. And so Spielberg consulted with both Hynek, uh, who serves as the official consultant on the movie, and then less formally with um, with with Valet. And Valet said, you know, Stephen would be much more interesting if if you were to have these beings as being real but interdimensional um, rather than extraterrestrial and Spielberg said well you know that's probably a more interesting idea but the audiences are expecting aliens in the more traditional sense and so that's what we're going to give them. Now the point is here the movie never specifies where these aliens are from. It They're doesn't. just aliens they could be from anywhere. Sure absolutely um, it, it doesn't specify I think the assumption is that they're extraterrestrial um, I think when it comes to interdimensional uh, ideas of interdimensionality i suppose the the general assumption is that uh, you would be dealing with something slightly more bizarre and uh, ethereal than than uh, these kind of physical beings and technological craft although what who is to say interdimensional entities wouldn't be the same so uh, I, I think and again i think when people get into fights over extraterrestrials versus interdimensionals it's uh, it seems like a really pointless kind of fight i mean i think most people would even struggle to define what interdimensional would even mean and and could extraterrestrials also be interdimensional well according to you know um uh, according to speculative science then then certainly that could be the case so so i i just uh, i don't tend to get bogged down in, in these kinds of debates um i i find it after 15 years of looking at this subject, I find it impossible to draw any conclusions about that, the nature of UFOs. What interested me is the way the aliens communicated with the people they wanted to take mm. with them, this mm. kind of technology sharing or whatever. So the Richard Dreyfus, Roy Neary character and the Melinda Dillon, Julian Geiler character, where they receive subconscious messages. That's right where obviously Roy Neary is kind of making his mashed potatoes into a mountain, mm. where he's drawn to that place, where they try to reach out to him. Yeah, they call them in- implantees in the movie, um, which, of course, are you know, they're contactees in everything but name, uh, where they, they as, in, as in real life, you know, with, with real life so-called contactees who claim to have uh, telepathic messages or implanted messages in their, in their subconscious or in, their, you know, in the depths of their brains, um, they say the same occurs in Close Encounters. Because, of course, Steven Spielberg based his, his screenplay on ufology. That was his primary influence. Spielberg grew up as a, as a UFO buff, and he was obsessed with the subject. His first movie as a 16-year-old Boy, uh, feature-length film, which was released locally in his, in, you know, his local cinema, was called Firelight, and that was about UFO abductions, and that was the blueprint for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So St- Steven Spielberg was was a huge UFO, but he'd read a lot of the literature, and this was something that he treated very seriously. He thought, you know, he described the, the film as science speculation rather than science fiction, and um, so he everything in that movie is inspired in some way by something that's appeared in in the ufological literature, including the outbreak. Uh- in 1973 in Indiana of several events that uh, were loosely based uh, on for the movie and um, especially the airliner uh, scene at the very beginning and of course the the blackout scene and um, you can go back and trace some very very similar type uh, reports from Indiana in 73 so a lot of that was actually based on real uh, UFO reports with you know with the Spielbergian sort of Hollywood twist or, or um, thread that kind of tied them all together with the characters. 
Mm. And that was film uh, was was significant as well in the context of um, official involvement or non-involvement, shall we say, because Steven Spielberg did seek the cooperation of the Air Force and NASA uh, in order to cut costs and boost authenticity. Uh, but the Air Force and NASA both denied, strongly denied their cooperation to him on this film on the grounds that you know, the, the film was about UFOs and, and historically, you know, since the closure of Blue Book in 1969, the Air Force had been, you know, um, reaffirming its policy that they had no interest in, in UFOs and would not cooperate on any uh, Hollywood product which really engaged with the subject, especially a product which put forward the idea that there was a giant UFO conspiracy. And so the Air Force strongly denied its cooperation to Spielberg. And then NASA, according to Spielberg, actually sent him a 20-page letter um, requesting that he not make the movie at all because they were they were worried that it would uh, spark a huge wave of UFO sightings and that they and that NASA would have to deal with this and it would make people freak out about UFOs like it like Jaws had about sharks, which had been made t- two years earlier. Spielberg made Jaws, which is at the time the most successful film of all time. Um, Star and then Star Wars would uh, would overtake it. Let's go into more of this in our next segment with Robbie Graham, Silver Screen Saucers. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-704-6182. A Place for Mom offers free one-on-one advice from local advisors and a personalized list of senior living communities you can visit. If you have questions about senior care for your mom or dad, there's a place for answers, a place for mom. Call A Place for Mom in the next 10 minutes to get your free ebook on financing senior care as well as free information on senior living communities in your area. Call 1-800-704-6182. That's 1-800-704-6182. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, 
Here's Gene Steinberg. Gene and Chris on the Paracast. We're talking about silver screen saucers with Robbie Graham. We also want to talk about After the Paracast, our other radio show. We want you to hear the show because it's kind of a special thing that if you're a Paracast listener, you'll really dig. And to be able to download the show and listen to it, you have to be a member of the Paracast Plus at plus.theparacast.com, P-L-U-S dot theparacast.com. The Paracast Plus, we also give you the ad-free version of this show with more features. We're talking here about close encounters of the third kind. The military evidently didn't want Steven Spielberg to make it. And by the way, one of the kids in the film was played by someone named Justin Dreyfus, who is Richard Dreyfus' nephew. Yeah. But, but unfortunately, he doesn't have much in the way of credits. I think he has only one more credit as an actor. Like 10 years later in other films, so it doesn't matter. So now a lot of rumors came about after Close Encounters of the Third Kind that this was really an effort by the authorities to convey the mm. message that we were being visited. Mm-hmm. And that may, to some degree, have been true. But what you're saying sounds like they wanted to be as far away from this movie as possible. First of all, those rumors were actually, that they were circulating even among the cast and crew of the movie whilst it was shooting. Um, and that was evidenced in the Close Encounters diary that was written by Bob Balaban, one of the actors in the movie, that was released shortly after the film's release uh, in 1977. You know, Balaban recounted a time where they were all sitting around a campfire, basically, in Alabama, late one night after a hard day's shoot. All the cast and crew were there, and JL and Hynek was delivering a lecture on UFOs. Someone talked about this rumor that had been going around, uh, that the film was actually part of an acclimation process to, you know, to get us used to the idea of, uh, that we're not alone in the universe, and that there's some kind of government sponsors of the film and absolutely nothing to to corroborate those rumors at all but as we know the air force and nasa did deny their cooperation at the same time playing devil's advocate just because the air force and nasa deny their cooperation does not mean that for example the cia or other shadowy agencies don't have an alternate agenda where these films are concerned um often these these agencies work you know towards competing agendas and and they're very self-serving and often they don't communicate so uh, and certainly when it comes to ufos there seems to have been a history of the cia not sharing information with the air force and vice versa um and that's just not just ufos i mean that's just that's just across the board, which is why these agencies are so ineffective often as a, as a whole. Um, you know, that's why society and, uh, and politics is so chaotic, because there's, there's a lot of miscommunication or non-communication between agencies. So that doesn't discount the idea that, that someone somewhere could have had the idea of seeding it. But it's not ne- the point is, is it's just not necessary for them to have done to have done that, um, because Steven Spielberg already already had the material here. He already had the will and the desire to make this movie. He had the budget to do it. He didn't need funding from the CIA. He had funding from Columbia Pictures. Uh, he was going to make this movie because he'd already made the most successful film of all time two years prior. This film was going to get made, and Spielberg was the man to make it. And if it did further some shadowy agenda on the part of some agency somewhere, then I, I think that's entirely incidental. You know, Hollywood is first and foremost a business. It does what it wants, except when it doesn't, <laughs> in the sense that there have been examples over the years of censorship and and seeding and, and um, kind of bringing scripts in line with with preferred images of certain agencies and that yeah, official dumb <laughs> and that refers to the you know to the relationship between the department of defense and hollywood which is very strong and and, and historic where you have the the pentagon working closely with filmmakers across the board on all sorts of genre pictures which depict the military in uh, a positive brave in a, freedom in a fighter positive, light 
<laughs> precisely, precisely, and 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 some of those cooperative efforts also extend to the UFO subgenre as well. So those are the films that I'm particularly interested in. Films like Battleship, Battle Los Angeles, the Transformers franchise. All of these films have received full cooperation from the Department of Defense, and all have had their scripts tampered with to a significant degree. Uh, and that that of course raises questions then about the extent to which these films are manipulated ufologically, because those scripts are heavily ufological. And you also have uh, the curious parallel with the uh, 2000. 2005 Serpo claim uh, that's been promoted by none other than Richard Doty and and Ken Caston, who we've repeatedly asked to be on the show. The Serpo scenario sounds like what happened to the uh, the astronauts at the end of Close Encounter who were taken aboard the ship, briefed, uh, you know, blessed, and then taken. Yeah, people go on about the Serpo stuff. Uh, it's okay. So, so the Serpo stuff is, is is crap. I mean, it, it surfaced in a, in a in a string of anonymous emails, essentially, and this is 2005. So this is decades after Close Encounters had, had been made. So what's more, what's more likely? You know, <laughs> is it that the Serpo story was influenced by a Hollywood movie, or vice, or vice versa? The fact is that these these emails and the Serpo story. Did didn't emerge until decades after Close Encounters. The logical assumption is that they were influenced by, by a movie. Yeah, um, and there's absolutely yeah that's my nothing, point exactly. There, yeah, and there's absolutely nothing whatsoever to corroborate that story. It's 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 entirely well, absurd. We also have the the pop culture sort of almost archetypal view or kind of vision of what a flying saucer is. Uh, to this day, that 50s kind of sort of primitive conservative view of the phenomenon is is reflected in, in thousands of photographs that have been hoaxed over the years, including the infamous Billy Meyer shots, the, the Adamski shots earlier on. And we're still seeing that today in the uh, the kind of the send-up to the, to the show here. I mentioned that it's one of the easiest ways for a UFO um, analyst is to look at the photograph and, and if there's a, a resemblance to some of those pop culture images, uh, you can almost well, discount it. It's not quite that simple because, of course, the the description of the archetypal flying saucer predates Hollywood's realization of that. So you had these very clear descriptions of the, the archetypal flying sa- domed flying saucer and even the, the movements that they make in Air Force documentation from the late 1940s, so before the Flying Saucer movies were even made, people were yeah. reporting across the world. And sp- yes, but I'm talking about uh, angular motion, uh, the dome or the bottom uh, leading mm. in, in the direction of travel, which is how most of these, if not all of these objects move. Whenever mm. you see a, a video or a photograph of an object allegedly moving edge on, uh, you can pretty much discount it. And that comes from one of the top analysts in the field uh, who's been studying this uh, for over 50 years. Oh, well, I mean, I discount all modern photographic evidence for UFOs, just put it all in a big bag and throw it out the window because it's, it's entirely pointless and it's a huge distraction. I'm only interested in, in uh, and only peripherally interested now, in photographic evidence that predates the digital era because that's harder to fake. Anything in, in this digital era now is so easy to fake for the layperson. You can do it on your iPhone that you can waste your whole life trying to analyze still and moving images of UFOs. So much is, is uploaded to YouTube on a daily basis. Uh, it's just, I mean, some of it is probably real, so to speak, in the sense that people have, some people have captured a genuine unidentified flying object. But a lot of it is, is, is obviously hoaxed. Um, and, and it's just a huge, huge distraction. And it's so easy for people to do. So, I, so my position is just, you are never going to get, if you're looking for proof of a of a real f- mysterious phenomenon, and you, you you're looking for a smoking gun. It will never ever come in the form of photographic evidence. Um, well, digital photographic evidence. There's some very good film and and still images um, 
you know, from from the analog days, that uh, that's what, yeah, precisely that those babies out with the bathwater. No, I know that, which is what I was saying. So, 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 I, so, you know, earlier, earlier photographic imagery is is genuinely interesting. Some of it is 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 really really powerful and convincing, um, especially you know when you can you know you can look at it and some of that has been uh, some, t- some you know some of that footage has been captured in the presence of multiple witnesses, uh, but even the ones that haven't been captured in the presence of multiple witnesses, it's still very hard to fake. Uh, UFO footage, some of it particularly convincing footage um, in those earlier years. And of course, it is possible to fake it, obviously, but it's much more interesting. As I say, now it's so easy to fake that you, the position, the logical position has to be that we just have to ignore it all. Because unless, of course, the footage is taken today in the presence of like, you know, 500 people who all then are named and then give their testimony to support the authenticity of the footage. Um, and and as, as I say, we live in a, in a visual age now um, where everything is real and unreal. And it's this age of hyper-reality. And in that age, you are never going to get proof of UFOs, certainly in, in photographic evidence. And, and I would argue that it's very hard to get uh, universally acceptable proof of a phenomenon in this age at all, in any form. Because even if you were to have so-called you know, official disclosure as it's conceived by the likes of Steve Bassett and Stephen Greer, um, y- even if that were to happen, uh, you would still have half the world's population totally disbelieving it. Let's break here. Let's break here. Robbie Graham with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you. People seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com. And if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more. And this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com. ParanormalDate.com and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. 
Paid non-attorney spokesperson Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with principal office in Houston, Texas is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention Zarelto users. If you or a loved one took Zarelto and suffered a serious bleeding event, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Zarelto is a popular prescription blood thinner used to prevent blood clots and protect patients from strokes. These serious bleeding events have led to numerous cases of hospitalization and even death. Phone lines are open 24-7. Call 800-261-0937. That's 800-261-0937. Hi, I'm Dr. Joel Wallach, veterinarian and naturopathic physician. The Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy with an important message. Take charge of your health. Do not continue to blindly follow the system that has failed us all. I appreciate GCN listeners because you're open-minded and intelligent. If our system is so great, why is it that the United States, the USA, ranks nearly 60th worldwide in longevity and number one in obesity? All the while, we spend more money than all the other countries combined annually on unnecessary health care procedures and toxic drugs. It doesn't take much to get on track, not with the government or pharmaceutical companies, but rather you in control of your own health with a basic understanding of nutrition and supplementation. FDI Longevity has the finest quality health, sports, and energy supplements available. GCN listeners are invited to join our team of people who want to stay healthy well into old age. We are currently looking for specialists to represent FDI Longevity and save America. To buy products at wholesale prices or join our business team, go to GCNteam.com. That's GCNteam.com. Support GCN. Get healthy. Serious investors and traders want to make 81% return in 60 seconds? Use the same secret algorithm professional hedge fund managers use to make billions of dollars of profits. Turn $250 into $4,903 in just seven clicks of a mouse. Our tool is so simple that my 82-year-old grandmother can use it to make insane stock market profits. Go to BigBuckRiches.com. Watch the free video before the hedge funds make us take it down. Go to BigBuckRiches.com. From the Robert Allen System, current returns not indicative of future results. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Now, Robbie, I wanted to get back to something here just related to what was going on earlier. The movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Did Spielberg ever think of maybe doing a sequel where we see what happened to the Earth people who went on this foreign exchange program? And then we notice, as he progressed, he did E.T., the extraterrestrial, where we have the childlike, friendly alien. And then we have later on, where he remakes The War of the Worlds, about evil aliens. So, But let's start at the beginning here. Did he ever think of a sequel to Close Encounters? As far as I'm aware, Spielberg never really considered a sequel to it. What he did do is he released a director's cut, a special edition, in uh, in about 1980, uh, just a few years after it was originally released. Which he, he, he was of, almost forced to do. He didn't want to. Yeah, he tacked on this this uh, this really crappy ending where you saw inside the mothership, and you know, of course, that the appeal of the original movie was that you see Richard Dreyfuss go onto the onto the mothership, but you don't see what's inside, and so it's left to the imagination. It's, it's about you fulfilling your own fantasy essentially and that was that was part of the brilliance of the movie and he completely ruined it with with a special edition where he showed the inside of the spaceship and that just kind of shatters the illusion it's like oh yeah it's a spaceship so spielberg regretted doing that um when he did et actually he did think about making a sequel 
um, to ET and uh, some information about this has come out over the last few years and ET originally was going to be a very different movie that the film that Spielberg originally had conceived of was not the cuddly one that we know today um, it was actually going to be loosely inspired by the again a, a real ufological incident from 1955 the Kelly Hopkinsville kind of farm siege invasion of uh, as I say of the mid 1950s where you had uh, the, the family who were besieged so by so-called uh, little imp-like aliens and and um, and this was this is a you know a famous case at the time and that was the case that actually gave rise to the little green men term in popular culture so that was going to be an influence on the on the the film that would later become E.T., but it wasn't until Spielberg brought in his friend um, Melissa Matheson, who was the girlfriend at the time of Harrison Ford, to write the script. Um, for, for you know, she said, "Look, this should be about this," and and then it was very you know. So so what what actually it came to be, came to be realised was 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 quite different from what they had originally conceived. Um, so it's basically going to be more of a horror film, and then they did conceive of a sequel, which again was going to be more of a more of a scary horror film, um, and that never came to to fruition. Thank goodness, because it would have been terrible, I think. <laughs> but then yeah, Spielberg. It, it- and one other thing, too, Spielberg actually wanted Close Encounters to be his first major film, but he couldn't get funding for it. That's and right. Because Jaws seemed to be such a slam dunk, obvious choice uh, and the, you know, the resulting success then gave him the cachet in, 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 right. in the Hollywood cloud to go ahead and get Close Encounters made. That's right. He was as I say, he was obsessed with the subject. This was this was a cathartic movie for him. It was it was kind of welling up inside him throughout his childhood and teen years. And as I say, the very first low budget film he made was 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 a UFO movie. And then he he did some TV work. Um, and he his first feature film was was well his first TV movie was Jewel uh, in the early 1970s. And then he made The Sugarland Express, which was his first feature film, which kind of was critically acclaimed, but was not a success at all financially and then uh, finally had huge success with um, with Jaws in 1975 and then that allowed him as as you say to to fulfill his dream of making his UFO movie which was Close Encounters you know he even he even wouldn't budge on the on the title you know he was determined to call this film Close Encounters of the Third Kind a phrase at the time that was not known to the general public and it was you know an explicitly ufological phrase that was coined by Jalen Hynek in his classification system for UFOs uh, and so Spielberg you know was, was insistent on calling it Close Encounters of the Third Kind this really worried Columbia Pictures because yeah, they said look he got no some one, pushback <laughs> yeah you know they said we, no one knows what the hell a Close Encounter of the Third Kind is it sounds vaguely pornographic shall we call it something else and so but he stuck to it because he had he had a huge amount of creative power at that point and continues to and then as we see over the decades he's continued to, to make Make movies and TV shows about UFOs because you know he continues to be interested. Let's move on to the X Files, and we think mm-hmm. of the X Files putting in all the UFO conspiracies in one place. But then we have this peculiar aspect of the revitalized X Files. It mm-hmm. came back for a six-episode run with, I think, mixed success for Fox, and suddenly the UFO conspiracy returns to Roswell, where they did recover alien technology, supposedly. But everything else was a conspiracy by the government, mm. as opposed to an ET conspiracy. Mm. Any thoughts about this change? So the original X Files series ended in uh, two thousand and two, I think, off the top of my head, um, and it ran for around nine seasons. Uh, ended in two thousand and two, and of course, you know, for that original series, Carter and his team of writers they drew directly, explicitly from from various subcultures, and especially the UFO subculture, uh, and almost everything that had been 
debated in, in ufology somehow found its way into X-Files. Again, it was an example of, of Hollywood acting as a parasite towards an existing UFO subculture. Uh, and then what happened was that subculture became popularized through the genre of science fiction and the medium of, of TV. Uh, and the, the, you know, whatever facts there were, whatever the truth there was to some of these original uh, reports and, and debates and encounters was, was blurred and, uh, and kind of muddied through, through the, the process of Hollywoodization. Um, and now what happened in the interim between the end of the old X-Files and the start of the new one was you had a new generation of conspiracy law, uh, of, of conspiracy theorists, I suppose. Now, I don't use the, uh, you know, I use the word, the, the word in a totally non-political sense. Uh, you know, the, the word conspiracy theorist has been sown with negative connotations, but what it literally means is people who theorize about conspiracies. And of course, conspiracies are real in the sense that they have demonstrably shaped some history, you know, significantly. Conspiracies do happen, and to theorize about them makes you a conspiracy theorist, but, but certainly not mad. So what Chris Carter and his guys have observed in the years since the original X-Files ended is a new generation of conspiracy theorists merging different conspiratorial threads into a sort of a unified world conspiracy view. Um, and 9-11 and has played a huge part in this and uh, theories and debates around uh, around 9-11, the New World Order and uh, Illuminati and all of these different things which have started to become much more prevalent in the age of the internet where ideas are shared more freely and quickly. This started to only arise just after the X-Files had finished. So they kind of missed out on that in the original series. So what, you have, what you've seen since then is all of these different threads start to expand and merge and different conspiracy theories come to the fore. Not necessarily different ones, but different takes on old, old ideas. Uh, and what you've had is, is somehow ufology being mixed with 9-11 and, and, and all sorts of different aspects of, you know, MK Ultra mind control. Um, and, and so you've got a whole new generation of, of people who are not only interested in one conspiracy, but in multiple conspiracies and, and in unifying all of these conspiracy theories. And that was a great appeal to Chris Carter for this new, this new series of the X-Files. And that's reflected in, in, in the narrative that, that he spun there. So that's why you're seeing what you've seen in the new X-Files. Well, I'll tell you, once again, I really wasn't enamored of this. I loved the original series, but I thought, especially the final episode, the six-episode run, it created the need for another episode, and I guess that will come next year if they can reach contracts with the principal players. I don't know. Mm. Robbie Graham with Gene and Chris, you're in. The Paracast. for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Serious investors and traders want to make 81% return in 60 seconds? Use the same secret algorithm professional hedge fund managers use to make billions of dollars of profits. Turn $250 into $4,903 in just seven clicks of a mouse. Our tool is so simple that my 82-year-old grandmother can use it to make insane stock market profits. Go to BigBuckRiches.com. Watch the free video before the hedge funds make us take it down. Go to BigBuckRiches.com. From the Robert Allen System, current returns not indicative of future results.
Worried about lead, fluoride, and other contaminants in your drinking water? Get a ProPure with the Pro1G 2.0 cleanable reusable filter and remove up to 200 contaminants. Drink water the way nature meant it to be. Clean, crisp, and refreshing. See the complete line of ProPure products, including the new ProMax shower filter. There's a ProPure for you. Visit your authorized ProPure dealer for details or ProPureUSA.com. That's P-R-O-P-U-R-U-S-A.com or 800-544-3533. I'm Nick Soboleski, a select quote agent with a true story that could save you hundreds of dollars a year. A woman named Linda just called. Her husband, Ray, has a $300,000 group life insurance policy, but is changing jobs and can't take it with him. Well, I impartially shot the highly rated term life insurance companies we represent and found Ray, who is 41 and takes medication to control his cholesterol, a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $26 a month. That's almost twice the coverage for less than half of what he had paid. If SelectQuote hasn't shopped for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 1-800-403-4885. That's 1-800-403-4885. 1-800-403-4885. Or go to SelectQuote.com. We shop. You save. Get full details on the example policy at slowquote.com slash commercials. Your price can vary depending on your health issuing company and other factors not available in all states. Looking for that edge during those intimate moments? We see many ads for enhancement, but the side effects include death. At GCN Team, we should change the Healthy Body Brain and Heart Pack to the Healthy Libido Pack. The brain and heart are not the only organs that require a healthy vascular system. For proper blood flow at the right moment, go to GCNTeam.com or call 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-704-6182. A Place for Mom offers free, one-on-one advice from local advisors and a personalized list of senior living communities you can visit. If you have questions about senior care for your mom or dad, there's a place for answers, a place for mom. Call A Place for Mom in the next 10 minutes to get your free ebook on financing senior care as well as free information on senior living communities in your area. Call 1-800-704-6182. That's 1-800-704-6182. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. Remember Pearl Harbor. Now you can buy, for the first time ever, the 75th anniversary Pearl Harbor legal tender solid gold coin from the U.S. Money Reserve. Call 1-800-329-6700 right now or go online to usmoneyreserve.com. 1-800-329-6700. Hey, this is Marie D. Jones, the author of This Book is from the Future, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. With Gene and Chris on the Paracast, Robbie Graham, we're talking about silver screen saucers, which also includes your TV screen. 
silver or not. Chris? You know, since we were talking about conspiracies, Robbie, in the last segment, there's uh, a, a couple, three questions on here. We sort of touched on the subject of possible government involvement behind the scenes or, or maybe more overtly with the UFO subject. But Dave M. wants to know how closely is the UFO topic in Hollywood movies and TV controlled by government agencies such as the CIA? And Mulvaney wants to know about uh, your view and he'd be interested to know how you uh, view possible links between Hollywood and the CIA or other covert propaganda um, that may be manipulating uh, public perceptions of UFOs. And, of course, then there's the obvious uh, follow-up question of if, if they are, to what end? <laughs> yeah, that's the harder question to answer. What, as I say, what we can say definitively as a matter of historical record is that the CIA and the Department of Defense and various other branches of officialdom have – uh, you know, historically had a close relationship or a very strong interest in Hollywood for obvious reasons, because they recognize that Hollywood shapes popular perceptions of, of, of our world on any subject. Hollywood fills the gaps in our knowledge of the world, was what the film director Ken Russell once said. And that's a really profoundly true statement. Hollywood fills the gaps in our knowledge of the world. It really is true because Hollywood serves to narrativize and contextualize the events and debates and processes that constitute our frustratingly non-narrative world. You know, life rarely makes sense, but movies usually do, and we take comfort in that. But the problem is, is that, you know, movies aren't real life. They're reflections of it. They're snapshots of it. And they're skewed and distorted through the ideological framework of the people who've made them. But we take them on some subconscious level as being representative of, of the world in which we live. So, so that's, that's problematic, especially when it comes to something like UFOs, as, as I say, because that's already rejected from consensus reality. And we don't really know what to believe about UFOs. And, and in, the, in the absence of, of solid facts, we are forced to believe one thing or another. Because all we have is belief when it comes to UFOs. Even the people who've experienced UFOs directly in a, in a profound way still themselves don't understand what they've, what they've experienced. And that's been my experience of speaking to a lot of people who, who have had these experiences. They, they've experienced something. It's profoundly affected their lives, but they themselves are struggling to make sense of what they've experienced. And so they filter their experience through pop cultural channels because that's the easiest thing to do. And there are no, there are no explanations forthcoming from officialdom. So therefore, you have to, to look elsewhere for answers. And um, so, so when it comes to the CIA, for example, the CIA has been involved in Hollywood in a covert capacity since the early 1950s and they were involved in monitoring and seeding the narratives of a whole host of genre pictures westerns melodramas you know musicals comedies throughout the 1950s 60s and beyond and they were really bringing scripts in line with with the CIA's preferred image of the United States and they were trying to project a particular image of America and American foreign policy to foreign audiences so there's there's numerous examples of this, yeah. and there's John there's Frankenheimer, whole, right? And 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 but I mean, in 1950s, um, the head of censorship at Paramount Studios was a guy called uh, Luigi Larashi, and he was actually a CIA asset. This wasn't known until decades later. It was uncovered by a British uh, academic, um, uh, but at the time you had, as I say, so you had one of the key, most influential people in in Paramount Studios actively working for the CIA to 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 bring scripts in line. Um, now, of course, it, it's safe to say that if these changes were being made to all sorts of genre pictures on what you would think would be fairly mundane issues, then it's probably fair to say that these, that these changes were also being made 
to the UFO subgenre, which was a hugely popular, you know, that kind of dominated the science fiction genre at the time. But when it comes to definitive examples of CI manipulation of early uh, UFO products, it's hard to state anything with certainty because the CIA is notorious for not leaving a paper trail. They consciously, you know, have nothing on paper. <laughs> so, so as to not kind of give their illegal activities away because they're not supposed to operate on American soil. Um, so, so, uh, so the CIA in the early, as I say, it was, it was covert. It wasn't until the mid-1990s that the CIA started to work openly with Hollywood and they established a media liaison office. And what they did was they started to create relationships with Hollywood producers, directors, writers, and they encouraged Hollywood to, where possible, depict the CIA in a more, in a more positive light. And the goal was to increase re- recruitment and retention of personnel. But at the same time, this relationship also opened the doors for script manipulation and and, uh, general monitoring and manipulation of these movies. The relationship between the the Department of Defense, the the Pentagon, and Hollywood is different to the CIA in that it it historically has been more open and continues to be more open um, uh, and more brazen, uh, shall we say. Uh, When I say backed, I don't mean financially, although it does 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 essentially equate to that because if a filmmaker filmmaker requires... um, um, tanks and troops and hardware for their war movie or their action movie, they have two choices. They can create it in a, in a computer or through the props department, which costs a lot of money, or they can approach the military who will give it to them for free on the grounds that the military themselves can then insert themselves into the production and influence it and, um, and gear it towards recruitment and propaganda. Now, this was nowhere near as blatant as it was during World War II. Where there was direct involvement, they even had Hollywood stars appear in movies designed to encourage patriotism and support for America's military effort. For example, I saw this one movie featuring the late Superman star George Reeves, where he plays a soldier who was captured by the enemy and bravely goes to his death. Mm. And this was supposed to say, okay, no matter what happens, look at this patriotic American who... Mm -hmm gave his life for his country, that kind of thing. Superman, for example, speaking of Superman, he fought Nazis during World mm. War II. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same today. It's, it's even more brazen, I would say. Um, I mean, if you, if, you, if you watch, if you can bear to watch movies like Battleship or Battle Los Angeles, uh, the Transformers franchise, you know, the, these are uber, uber patriotic uh, products, uh, jingoistic even, and uh, the, the, the dialogue is so awful. And, and you might think, why is the dialogue so awful? And that's because you know, a substantial chunk of the dialogue has actually been written by Pentagon staffers. Uh, <laughs> I mean, lit- that's, no, no, that's, that, that's a fact. Um, what, what they do is they, re- they reserve the right to uh, see every draft of the script, and they have their own staffers uh, go through with a pen, and they highlight anything that they deem to be objectionable or that in any way might paint the military in, in an unfavorable light. And then even beyond that, they can even, you know, see a representation of a particular issue which is of interest to them, like national security or foreign policy, and they can suggest alterations there as well. So they'll highlight the problems and then they will write dialogue for the, you know, for the production and say, we, we recommend that you use this instead. Now, the filmmakers then have the choice of saying, no, we won't do that because it's crap and we want to make our own movie. 
in which case the Pentagon reserves the right to say, okay, you don't get our hardware anymore. So the point is, is that once they enter their contractual agreement with, with the Pentagon, basically they're signing away the, the, their creative rights to their movie. And, and they really have to follow any suggestion that the Pentagon puts forward at that point once they've signed that contract. Well, especially if they've requested help with uh, right. with airplanes, uh, you know, any sort of vehicles, that sort of thing, the inclusion of uh, footage from bases, that sort of thing. So they do kind of sit in the driver's seat. But I'll tell you, you talk about uh, bad Hollywood scripts, almost every major Hollywood movie that comes out now, with very few exceptions, feature, you know, one-word uh, answers, three-word questions, uh, grunts, uh, you know, as responses, and it seems to be dumbed down to the lowest common denominator uh, in terms of the cultural languaging. <laughs> it just, to me, it's, uh, it's, I don't know, it's, well, it's a, a very... Well, it's yeah, about. I mean, it's. It's. I mean, that's just. Yeah, it's a, that's just a cultural trend. I think it's. Um, it's the same. You know, these these films are all about spectacle now, especially in the age of special effects, and um, uh, you know, dialogue is secondary to 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 image, and uh, and to as I say, to kind of really overt spectacle, and. Uh, I don't know. I mean, these. I agree. I mean, that most of what comes out of Hollywood, in terms of so-called blockbusters, is uh, to me almost unwatchable. Well, I won't get into Batman v Superman <laughs> at all. By the, I'll give you the spoiler. I'm going to do it. I don't care. They kill Superman at the end of the movie, but he'll be back in the next movie. We got Robbie uh, Graham with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> For listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com Serious investors and traders want to make 81% return in 60 seconds? Use the same secret algorithm professional hedge fund managers use to make billions of dollars of profits. Turn $250 into $4,903 in just seven clicks of a mouse. Our tool is so simple that my 82-year-old grandmother can use it to make insane stock market profits. Go to BigBuckRiches.com. Watch the free video before the hedge funds make us take it down. Go to BigBuckRiches.com. From the Robert Allen System, current returns not indicative of future results. This is Dan Pilla. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years. I've helped thousands and I can help you too. I wrote the book on IRS settlement and I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX to finally get free of IRS debt. With the IRS's new programs, there's never been a better time to solve your problem. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. That's 800-34-NO-TAX or my website, danpilla.com. 
owe $10,000 or more to the IRS? Get on board with the tax admiral. Don't pick on the IRS alone. I'll cut penalties and reduce your overall tax bill. Sometimes I can even get it zeroed out completely. We're an A-rated company helping people clean up their mess with the IRS. If you owe $10,000 or more, then call the tax admiral. Call 800-287-7180. Again, that's 800-287-7180. 800-287-7180. This is a healthcare alert from the Pain Relief Hotline. If you, a family member, or a loved one suffers from knee, back, shoulder, or ankle pain and have Medicare as your primary insurance, we've got great news. You don't have to suffer any longer. You can immediately qualify for a pain relieving brace at little or no cost to you by calling our 24-7 pain relief hotline at 866-389-0620. Delivery is free and all paperwork is handled for you. If you are on Medicare and have knee, back, shoulder, or ankle pain, don't wait. You can qualify to immediately receive a pain-relieving brace at little or no cost by calling our 24-7 pain hotline now at 866-389-0620. Our representatives are standing by 24-7 to take your call and rush you your pain-relieving brace at little or no cost to you. Shipping is free and all paperwork is handled for you. Just call 866-389-0620. That's 866-389-0620. Again, 866-389-0620. This is David Cordani, CEO of Cigna. For more than 20 years, Cigna has worked with the March of Dimes to address premature births in the U.S. Premature births cause horrible suffering and cost billions of dollars each year. That's why Cigna is committed to raising funds and awareness through our employees, family, and friends to improve the health of moms and babies. Please join us in supporting the March for Babies. Start your team today at marchforbabies.org. Hi, it's Grant Cameron from PresidentialUFO.com. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Okay, with Gene and Chris, Robbie Graham talking about silver screen saucers. Now, when we're talking about military influence of movies, particularly sci-fi, UFO-oriented movies, etc., what about 1996 Independence Day? Because there's a lot of military presence there, but they also visit Area 51, where supposedly they're holding aliens on ice and they have a flying saucer. Did the military at all get involved in that movie? They did not. Well, what happened was the the producer Dean Devlin approached uh, the Pentagon for their assistance on the movie for obvious reasons because it, you know, you know, we've just talked about the reasons that filmmakers approach Hollywood. They requested the assistance of the military, and the military said. You know, they read the script and they said, well, we've highlighted a number of problems with the script. Some of them were unrelated to UFOs. Some of them were just general uh, points of accuracy or inaccuracy. But they, the sticking point, they said, was that, look, we cannot assist you if you don't remove all references to Area 51 and Roswell. They said those are the sticking points. And, you know, the filmmaker said, well, we can't, we can't remove references to Area 51 and Roswell because they're central to the narrative. So to their credit... The, the filmmakers went their own way without the Pentagon and they, they made everything with special effects. Now, what happened there was that the Pentagon missed out on a huge opportunity to propagandize uh, and to recruit. And they watched this film become the most successful film of the year and one of the most successful films of the decade. And now it's about to spawn a sequel this summer. Um, and so 
what they, I think, what they realised there was because they denied their cooperation on on ufological grounds, they they missed out on a huge opportunity to propagandise. So I think what happened following that was they had a sit down at the Pentagon or at the Hollywood liaison office in in Los Angeles, and they said, look, we really need to re- to to rethink our position on Hollywood's engagement with this subject. Basically, they sat down, I think, in in Los Angeles, and they made the decision to be more open to Hollywood filmmakers when it comes to depictions of UFOs. Uh, And so you had this flat-out denial of cooperation in 1996 on Independence Day, but then the very... You know, the, the, the following year, um, you had full cooperation granted to the TV production of Stargate, the TV show Stargate, which ran for 10 years, SG-1. And that, that show, rather, received the full cooperation of the Pentagon and of U.S. Space Command. And so, obviously, there had been some kind of a conversation where they said, we, we have to end our decades-long policy of, of non-cooperation with, UFO, with uh, ufo theme productions. If we want to, one propagandize more effectively but two if we want to have any input at all uh in hollywood on how filmmakers actually depict a subject which we ourselves historically have been interested in and have a historical engagement with then we need to actually insert ourselves into these productions and therefore we need to be more open to to to, you know to you know we have to just say look we don't care that it's about ufos in fact we want to be involved because it's about UFOs and therefore we can actually manipulate popular perceptions of our historical engagement with this phenomenon. It's not about, you know, as far as the Department of Defense is concerned, I don't really see any agenda to to acclimate or to, to sow a particular message other than, and this is a clear message that you can identify across um, Pentagon-backed UFO movies and UFO-themed productions over the years very clearly. What you see is is these scripts, which have been partially written by Pentagon staffers. They depict uh, a United States military which is historically oblivious to UFO reality. So the militaries and governments in these, in these or especially the militaries rather, in these um, productions such as, um, uh, um, such as Battle Los Angeles, Transformers, um, Battleship, they, they don't have a historical involvement in a UFO cover-up. So when the aliens arrive and invade Earth, the Department of Defense is as surprised as anyone. They've got no aliens in the basement. Um, and in Transformers, so basically they're, they're kind of rewriting their, their official history when it comes to UFOs. They're saying we don't have an official engagement with this subject historically, uh, and there is no cover-up. So that's, that's kind of the subtext of these films, which they back. But in Transformers in 2007, what you have is a very laboured scene in which the Secretary of Defense, played by John Voight, discovers to his horror that a secret quasi-governmental agency, and this is key, not the actual Department of Defense, but a quasi-governmental agency called Sector 7, which is clearly inspired by Majestic 12, has been secretly uh, concealing UFO and alien reality from the president and from the Secretary of Defense himself. And when John Voigt, the Secretary of Defense in the movie, learns of this, he's horrified, he's outraged. How can you keep a frozen alien in the basement, blah, 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 blah. And this is so blatantly you know, in service of the current Department of Defense, you know. And, and and it's interesting that that point, that position is carried through in all of these narratives which are backed by the, the Department of Defense when it comes to UFOs. They're not really interested in, in, in painting a particular picture of the phenomenon itself, other than hostile, obviously, but they are interested in rewriting their own historical engagement with the subject. So the military in these cases, they're the good guys, 
And when policies aren't followed, these are the outliers. These are the ones going rogue. Now, with regard to the sequel called Independence Day Resurgence, the sequel, which is coming out this year, is it the same thing or did the military cooperate with Mr. Emmerich and Dean Devlin? You've caught me out here because I haven't caught up that far. Um, it's something that I need to look into. Uh, others may know the answer to that. Uh, it's something I, I will be looking at quite seriously and obviously as, as the film approaches, doing some articles on it. I, I suspect that they may well have approached them. They'd be stupid not to. But at the same time, they may well have learned from past mistakes and, and would rather not go through that again. Um, you know, because, you know, military involvement in these films is not essential. These films get made without without the military and, and, they, and, and often filmmakers prefer not to have to engage with the military on these things because they do have to give up some creative control. So Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich now, you know, they're at a different point in their careers. Um, uh, this film's going to get made without the military, you know, because it, it's, it's become a cultural phenomenon. So I doubt there's going to be much military involvement. But I could be wrong. Uh, don't quote me on that. I could be wrong. Just for everyone's reference, the movie will be released June 24th this year. Mm. Okay. So let's see what happens. And a lot of the originals actors are there, except for Will Smith. Yeah. But someone is in there who plays the son of the Will Smith character from the previous movie. He's not in there because he doesn't. He says he doesn't like to do ensemble pieces. Now he's uh, he's too big. He Welcome wasn't to then. We have Jeff Goldblum in this movie. Mm-hmm. We have Judd Hirsch again. Brent Spiner, who is he was killed off in the last movie. I can't figure out how they got him back. And they also have Liam Hemsworth, who is mm. the brother of Thor. Thor is Chris Hemsworth. Mm. His younger brother appears in this film. So we'll see. I saw the coming attractions. It seems okay. I had fun yeah, with the original film. I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be very entertaining. I mean, as again, you know, if you can kind of forgive the, the almost <laughs> ridiculously comical um, patriotism of the first movie and the jingoistic nature of it, it's, it is hugely entertaining. Roland Emmerich makes entertaining films, very cheesy old school kind of films but entertaining films and i'm sure it will be an entertaining movie and it'll be interesting to see the extent to which they engage with the further ufological mythology um which has evolved since um since the last movie as, as chris carter did with the x-files so so and, and you know that's that's the trend that, that we're seeing now is is as a as, as more and more filmmakers are engaging with with uh, uh, with an existing and and richer ufological subculture and they're consciously drawing from it and uh, and being very parasitic towards it and that the you know so so what what fact there is underlying this phenomenon in in, in early reports has just become so um uh, it's been so uh, kind of mashed up <laughs> through through this medium that it's very hard to identify, um, uh, you know, the fact from the fantasy now, and that's and that's really the, the focus of what I do, and it's it's trying to kind of uh, pull apart these threads where possible, and um, it's it's often not possible, but it's it's I think it's important to try, and I think it's important to engage, as I say, more generally with 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 UFO themed productions as not something that's peripheral to ufology you know a lot of people interested in ufos are interested in in ufo movies but they're not in a direct way they see them as fluff they see them as peripheral to the ufo subject and having no real bearing on on ufological occurrences or belief or debate and that's very far from the truth you know these films have had a huge cultural impact and they've they've influenced us on a subconscious a subconscious level for decades and i think that ufo movies and, and tv shows ufo entertainment is is central to our misunderstanding of, of this phenomenon 
We'll continue talking about UFO movies, of course, in our next segment. One question being, how have we misunderstood the UFO mystery because of all those films? We'll get into that in a few moments. Robbie Graham is writing about silver screen saucers, and we want to tell you about After the Paracast, our second radio show. And to get the show, you have to join the Paracast Plus at plus.theparacast.com, P-L-U-S.theparacast.com. Check out all the features. Sign up. It's cheap. You know, like Mad Magazine, our price cheap. This is cheap. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high-performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer? Go to technightowl.com host. Once again, that's technightowl.com host. Ted Anderson telling you about Jordan Rubin's Beyond Organic Green-Fed Raw Cheddar Artesian Cheese featuring whole milk created through ancient dairy breeding, unpasteurized, untreated whole milk on the same farm the cows graze, containing natural sources of omega-3s, CLA protein, calcium, probiotics, and enzymes. I have never tasted cheese this good, and you need to try it. Contact your Longevity distributor or call 877-878-4203 or go to GCNteam.com. You haven't experienced yogurt until you've tried a Mossy, embodying health and flavor in a true whole milk, green-fed dairy beverage. Every sip pays homage to our old-world cows and the ancient culturing methods their milk benefits from. With over 30 probiotics, a Mossy's undeniably nutritious, refined, cultured sensation bolsters your health and awakens your passion for dairy. A Mossy's so good, and you need to try it. Contact your Longevity distributor or call 877-878-4203 or go to GCNteam.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Okay, so Robbie Graham, how has our perception of UFOs perhaps been distorted by the culture generated from UFO-themed movies? Uh, well, it's difficult to say. I mean, I, I think, well, I mean, when it comes to, to, to entertainment media and UFOs, I think you, you have to look at cinema as having a particularly unique power. It does have this ability to detach us from our physical environment and transport us to this other more vivid realm of perception where everything is is 
unreal yet real, illusory yet real. So in film studies, anything that exists within the world of the film is, is known as diegesis. So the cinema screen is supposed to separate the world of the characters from our so-called real world. But actually this diegesis is so the world seeps through the screen and into our world and into our subconscious. And it does become part of our reality and it does inform our beliefs and our, and our view of the world to an extent, subconsciously and cumulatively over time. And I think that key to movies' power, as I said earlier, is that movies do have this slick, neatly packaged way of narrativizing, of making sense of the world around us. They contextualize the events and the debates and the processes of our world. And no matter what the subject, and regardless of how much that subject has already been written about and debated, once Hollywood has got its hands on it, once it's been Hollywoodized, it is embedded into the popular consciousness and it's, it's, it's imprinted on our psyche. There's so, a symbiosis there. It's art imitating life, imitating art. It is. And, and it, it, that's very much how it's become. What you can say, you know, very clearly is that people have been seeing unidentified flying objects in one form or, an, form or another in the skies for millennia. But, the modern UFO phenomenon, as we understand it today, began in 1947, or, or at least in the early 1940s, with the Foo Fighter phenomenon, and then kind of manifested in the, in the, in the uh, more clearly in the form of flying discs. Although flying discs were also reported in the early 40s. Anyway, in the late 1940s, uh, we, we had flying saucers. Um, it was only a very short time after that that Hollywood began to engage with this cultural hysteria, and it wasn't just a cultural hysteria as well; it was a political hysteria, as we as we now know. You know, the American government and numerous governments were very concerned about these reports. So it was something that was sprung from our lived historical reality. Hollywood, this fantastical medium, then began to engage with this and they drew from existing beliefs, debates, ideas, terminology, and they incorporated these things into their fictional narratives. Uh, in, in the process, they, they fictionalized them. Uh, and then you start to have life informing art, informing life, informing art, and it becomes this, this, this ongoing process where it's hard to kind of pin down what influenced what and when. Uh, could you remind me of the question you asked me? <laughs> what was the question? Well, is art imitating life or life imitating art? There is like a, a self-perpetuating symbiosis going on. One reality seems to be building upon the cultural programming and the cultural programming in turn uh, seems to be driving uh, you know the the subjects uh, i think your example of the reboot of of the x-files and of course mm. the remakes of uh, classic films from the past um, they tend to incorporate as you pointed out the level of understanding and awareness in the average viewer people seem to be more informed now even though they're ill-informed in my in my view they're being oh, right programmed. sure so so yeah so what what we can say about hollywood is that it simplifies there is a phenomenon okay whether it's a cultural phenomenon or an ontological phenomenon i, I think that, i think it's a bit of both i think people uh, certainly in my experience who 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 i've spoken with uh, you know over the years have had utterly profound experiences and and on some level this phenomenon seems to be objectively kind of measurable uh, although albeit very fleetingly uh, and in a kind of a way that mocks us but but there is something underlying this which i think is genuinely anomalous now, what Hollywood does is it simplifies this anomalous phenomenon through its narratives and through its iconographic imagery into something that's digestible um, and processable for, for everyone, really. Um, and it, it filters this, this bizarre, complex, multifaceted phenomenon through the filter of the science fiction genre and through the, specifically the extraterrestrial hypothesis. 
rightly or wrongly. Um, and so this then brings us to the question of UFO origins in nature. What, what underlies the phenomenon? What is it? This is something that I have the luxury of not engaging with literally because my job, as I see it, is to be kind of a, a, a cultural commentator. Um, is so I, I look at Hollywood's engagement with a phenomenon and try to assess the extent to which Hollywood's engagement has affected our perceptions of this phenomenon. I don't attempt to draw conclusions about the nature of the phenomenon itself, and I think that anyone who attempts to draw solid conclusions, or at least reaches a conclusion, is deluded, because <laughs> it, it, it defies our understanding. We are nowhere close to it. Now, that's not to say the extraterrestrial intelligences are not involved. They may very well be. You know, we know, the, I mean, on the face of it, the extraterrestrial hypothesis has considerable merit. Uh, you know, I, I understand, you know, a lot of people have raised serious objections to it and, and for understandable reasons. But at the same time, mainstream science tells us that we live in a universe that's bursting with, with other planetary bodies, um, inhabitable star systems. Uh, and if the laws of evolution are universal, then it's utterly inconceivable that life will not have evolved on other planets in the universe. And given the age of the universe, that 13 point some billion years, it's also extremely hard to believe that that life will not have evolved into, you know, uh, intelligent beings who, who could far surpass us technologically. So given those facts and given, again, theoretical sciences, um, ideas about uh, hyperspatial travel and interdimensionality, certainly in theory, and I stress in theory, it's possible that other, you know, beings from elsewhere in the universe have visited us and may be actively visiting us. The extraterrestrial hypothesis is not absurd uh, when applied to, to, to UFOs. But at the same time, given what people report at a grassroots level about UFOs, it would seem that, that the UFO phenomenon is far weirder than just <laughs> extraterrestrial visitation. Um, I think we and, can agree that it is far weirder. <laughs> and, and, and may go far beyond that. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and, and it challenges us on levels that we, that, you know, that just are really terrifying to think about. And so, so I, I don't draw conclusions. I say the extraterrestrial, the ETH, shall we say, extraterrestrial hypothesis, is appealing on certain levels, but problematic uh, uh, as well. And uh, I don't rule anything out when it comes to UFOs. I don't draw conclusions. I know that it's utterly stumped me, and and I I don't expect to have any answers to it uh, anytime soon. And again, this brings us back to this idea of disclosure that people keep, to, you know, the, the, the disclosure movement is a, is a, a religion within a religion. You, and you think, and it's, <laughs> and it's, it, it's, uh, you know, it's built on, it's built on, you know, the idea of, of, um, saviordom and, and it has all the key ingredients of any, of any, Kind of popular religion, and you know, it's 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 it's, it's you. Know, I get the appeal of it. I've been there, and I think a lot of people who've been in this field long enough kind of can see the appeal of it. But but well, especially when it, you're formulating jokes for a comedy routine. <laughs> and um, and but you know, it's 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 very like you know. I just don't see you know what what's to disclose. How how do you? You know what's to disclose, and, and this takes me back again to to um, uh, to one of your comments about close encounters of the third kind, where you, you you know you mentioned that it was interesting that the uh, the intelligences in the film they make contact at a grassroots level, they 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 contact these implantees, and this is actually a really this is really annoying to officialdom in the movie because 
they don't want them there. You know, so these guys have all been drawn individually to the site of contact at Devil's Tower. And this is unbeknownst to the military who want their own private communion with these beings. And they've, they were also, invited! Right. But they were invited, right. So, so, so this, this uh, you know, the, the, I, I just don't, the, the phenomenon itself, whatever it is, doesn't seem to have much interest in, in you know, making mass contact. It, it seems to flit in and out of people's lives at individual levels, confuses people, um, wows people, terrifies people, and kind of pushes people to explore different avenues. Um, but it doesn't seem to have any interest in, in making mass contact in the style of a typical Hollywood movie. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously... The American, let's say the American government, that's a simplification, but let's say the American government has studied this phenomenon over the years uh, to some level. We've got to do a break here with Robbie Graham and Gene and Chris. You're in the Barricade. If you're fascinated by UFOs, ancient aliens, archaeological mysteries, ghost hunting, Atlantis, and any other paranormal topic as we are, be sure to check out apmagazine.info each month. Since 1985, it has presented the latest research by top researchers like Andrew Collins, Brad Steiger, and many others, and contains interviews with such leading personalities as Jacques Vallée. Check, click on one of their banners and check out apmagazine.info. As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high-performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer? Go to technightowl.com slash host. Once again, that's technightowl.com slash host. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-704-6182. A Place for Mom offers free, one-on-one advice from local advisors and a personalized list of senior living communities you can visit. If you have questions about senior care for your mom or dad, there's a place for answers, a place for mom. Call A Place for Mom in the next 10 minutes to get your free ebook on financing senior care as well as free information on senior living communities in your area. Call 1-800-704-6182. That's 1-800-704-6182. So you've got to take a state construction license exam or certification. Can't decide on what books or what chapters to study? Discover right now how you can eliminate unnecessary books and wasted study time. At ContractorExam.com, our study materials zero in on state-required test topics in an effective, multiple-choice format. So whether you're a plumber, electrician, general contractor, or other construction-related trade, ContractorExam.com will help get you prepared. Visit us at www.ContractorExam.com today. I'm Nick Soboleski, a select quote agent with a true story that could save you hundreds of dollars a year. A woman named Linda just called. Her husband, Ray, has a $300,000 group life insurance policy, but is changing jobs and can't take it with him. 
Well, I impartially shot the highly rated term life insurance companies we represent and found Ray, who is 41 and takes medication to control his cholesterol, a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $26 a month. That's almost twice the coverage for less than half of what he had paid. If SelectQuote hasn't shopped for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 1-800-403-4885. That's 1-800-403-4885. 1-800-403-4885. Or go to selectquote.com. We shop. You save. Get full details on the example policy at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your price can vary depending on your health issuing company and other factors. Not available in all states. Are your Google search results killing you? Unflattering content in blogs, news articles, online reviews, social media, or other sources can jeopardize your reputation, your business, and your livelihood. Let Reputation.com help. Our patented technology will make the truth about you more visible while pushing down unwanted negative content. Improve your Google search results. Call Reputation.com at 1-800-831-0771 for a free consultation. That's 800-831-0771. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. I don't know what Chris said there when he said the Paracast, but that's okay. We have Robbie Graham joining us this week. So, Robbie, would you continue your remarks Mm. So, so let's say the American government has studied the phenomenon historically, and, and we know that's the case, um, but we don't know how deeply. A lot of that is speculation. But we know that they studied it you know, to some extent. But what conclusions are to be drawn? A lot of what the UFO community thinks it knows about the American government's relationship to this phenomenon has been the result demonstrably of disinformation efforts tracing back to the early 1980s, the late 1970s, early 1980s. Disinformation efforts on the part of Air Force Intelligence and the CIA to sow a particular idea into a subculture, which would then eventually bleed into pop culture. And it creates uh, an image of an American power structure, which is deeply um, engaged with with this subject. You know, so so it, it, it puts across an image of an American military, for example, who have treaties with super advanced extraterrestrial entities and it gives the impression that they are working hand in hand in secret bases and that the aliens are sharing their technology with the US military exclusively that the American military have successfully reverse engineered this technology and are applying it this gives the impression on a a sort of a drip drips uh, kind of a non-direct way to foreign powers <laughs> that the American military is not to be messed with because, as we know, foreign powers have also historically looked into this phenomenon and, and have treated it seriously, especially the Russian. What I'm hearing here is you're saying that uh, it sounds like disinformation of the kind you're describing has been latched onto by people that have this uh, semi-religious fervor uh, for the government to come clean. And it's almost like the government's created a monster. So in other words, the disclosure movement is reacting to the disinformation and has created this kind of weird sort of uh, riptide effect that the government's having to deal with. (laughs) 
that's it. You've got it. You've got it. I think that's that's very much it. It's blowback, to use the CIA term. Uh, oh, here's a question so, from William Strathman, and he's wondering, outside the U.S. and Hollywood, have other governments influenced their own film industry in regards to UFOs or the paranormal? And he gives a rough example to clarify perhaps MI5 and Quartermass in the Pit, or I would add uh, the original movie Solaris and uh, the KGB. It's a really great question and one that I wish I could answer um, because, my, again, my focus has been so heavily on, on Hollywood that I've, I've really neglected the film industries, despite being British. But what I can say on the UK front is that, you know, we really don't, we, we like to think we have a film industry, but we really don't. Um, it's not to the extent you can actually call it an industry. Um, it's kind of a semi-industry. Um, and we don't make many genre films we, you know the history of british cinema is we we have a history of, of making socially reflective films dramas we don't make many science fiction films certainly as the years have progressed we've been involved in a lot of science fiction films and, and had cross productions but historically we don't have many science fiction films we don't have many ufo themed movies although you mentioned quatermass in the pit and there are others there are a number of examples over the years there's another one from 1969 called the body stealers as well which is actually the first alien abduction movie ever but certainly the the UK film, film industry has a very different relationship with officialdom than the American industry the American industry does. Our film industry is much smaller and our, our military is much smaller, obviously, as well. And the, the, the relationship is different. At the same time, there are examples of MI5 and things like that having influenced um, the content of, of productions. And I think that there are some examples when it comes to the James Bond films as well. Well, the James Bond uh, films, though, are produced by American companies, even though people from the UK are involved. That's right. So a lot of what we a lot of what we think of as as British films are really not British films. I mean, it depends on your definition of of, uh, of, what, of what a national film is. Sometimes our films will be populated with with British actors, but produced entirely with American funds. For example, largely with American funds, and through an American distributor. Um, so is it British or is it American? But no. The, the, the short answer is is that we don't really have a history of making uh, UFO-themed productions in this country, um, and it's certainly not movies, the, and the relationship is, is not to the extent that it is in America, although certainly there have been efforts in various different genres um, to, to kind of monitor and manipulate, because any government in any country recognizes the influence and power of entertainment media and of Hollywood and of, and of, of a movie generally, uh, this power to narrativize issues. Well, wasn't the original uh, UFO TV show, wasn't that a British production uh, in the uh, mid-60s? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, the... And what was the name uh, of the purple-haired the chick that I was in love with as a kid? God, you're asking me now. <laughs> yeah, I'm going uh, to have to look it up on MDB. <laughs> I, I was kind of joking. Gonna to, uh, we're going to have to... Uh, but I just remember that there was some uh, kind of fear-mongering going on in that show, although I, I don't really remember it that yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and, and there, were, there were actually a, a few productions in the, set in the 60s, 70s and things like that, um, which were quite influential, I suppose. But but most of these films are made independent, uh, you know, independent of, of, um, uh, of external influence. So... As, as far as the you know, as far as you know, the, the Russian industry is again, you know, let, let's face it, Hollywood is by far, apart from Bollywood, um, Hollywood is by far the biggest um, film industry, and uh, and it's historically had a much closer relationship with with uh, with its government than, than others have, um, uh, at least in terms of, of UFO movies, because again, again, although the UFO phenomenon is global, it's most historically associated and cultural 
associated with America. Um, well, and it's also so, associated with, with Southern California. I have a question here from Ravensfee, who's been a poster uh, for almost two years um, at forum.theparacast.com, where our listeners uh, and forum posters can uh, ask questions of our guests. And Ravensfee has one for you. Southern California has a rich seam of mid-20th century UFO and occult history. To what extent has the Holly Weird, I added that, film industry been influenced by the esoteric geography it finds itself in and the contactees and the magical practitioners that once and still do populate it? Again, excellent question. Um, the, the, the geography and the different cultures, um, I mean – Again, my angle here. So, so I've worked from uh, an expertise in in um, propaganda studies, really, when it comes to Hollywood post 9/11 specifically, but also historically, uh, when it comes to Hollywood more broadly, not just UFOs. And so that's kind of my that's kind of my angle, really. It's more of a straight-on angle um, uh, as as relates specifically to UFOs and and, and the, the politics of that. There are other researchers who have um, produced interesting material on the esoteric angles of Hollywood and uh, magical aspects of of, of, uh, of, of, uh, of these productions. Um, and so, but it's something that I myself have, have not really delved into too much, so I wouldn't want to just sort of talk on something that I'm an expert in. But um, it's a great question. As for, as for the, the landscape, um, you know, some people might be aware of the... Um, uh, the fact that in Hollywood there was a, um, a Lookout Mountain, which was a which was a kind of a, co- a covert film studio, essentially a secret film studio that was that was run by the U.S. government that made um, uh, basically it made, it made kind of film reels for propagandist purposes, and there was a lot of speculation that, that Hollywood filmmakers um, were involved in in these practices, uh, and that some you you know that that, that kind of uh, various secret things were shot you know with hollywood and so that that's let's break it then we'll continue okay with gene and chris you're in the barricast thank you for listening to gcn visit gcnlive.com today Looking for that edge during those intimate moments? We see many ads for enhancement, but the side effects include death. At GCN Team, we should change the healthy body, brain, and heart pack to the healthy libido pack. The brain and heart are not the only organs that require a healthy vascular system. For proper blood flow at the right moment, go to GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. Owe $10,000 or more to the IRS? Get on board with the tax admiral. Don't pick on the IRS alone. I'll cut penalties and reduce your overall tax bill. Sometimes I can even get it zeroed out completely. We're an A-rated company helping people clean up their mess with the IRS. If you owe $10,000 or more, then call the tax admiral. Call 800-287-7180. Again, that's 800-287-7180. 800-287-7180. 
It's no secret that pathogens such as bacteria, viruses, moles, and fungus can inflict severe damage in the human body. Fortunately, a new and vastly improved silver solution has been developed. Supernatural Silver is a revolutionary, broad-spectrum, antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal solution that can be used inside the body as well as on the skin. Supernatural Silver is unique and superior to colloidal and ionic silvers using a patented technology that is highly effective against colds, flus, infections, food poisoning, and yeast, in addition to many other pathogens. Supernatural Silver is scientifically supported, extremely safe, and is the number one choice of thousands of people for immune system support. Find out how Supernatural Silver could change your life. Go to SupernaturalSilver.com and use the promo code HEALTHY for 20% off. That's SupernaturalSilver.com and like us on Facebook. Paid non-attorney spokesperson Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with principal office in Houston, Texas is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention Zarelto users. If you or a loved one took Zarelto and suffered a serious bleeding event, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Zarelto is a popular prescription blood thinner used to prevent blood clots and protect patients from strokes. These serious bleeding events have led to numerous cases of hospitalization and even death. Phone lines are open 24-7. Call 800-261-0937. That's 800-261-0937. My computer is so slow, it's making me crazy. I used to have that problem. Did you quit using a computer or, or did you buy a new one? No, I called Geeks on Site. They made an appointment to visit my home and showed up the same day. You mean they didn't ask you to bring your computer to a shop? That's what happened when I called a support company. Geeks on Site can go to your home or business or even repair your computer online. They have 24-7 emergency service. If you are having problems with your PC or Mac, call Geeks on Site. 1-800-591-1682. Our friendly certified computer repair experts are available 24-7. Call now for a free diagnosis. 1-800-591-1682. Data recovery, virus removal, and maintenance for all laptops, desktops, printers, and networks. That's Geeks on Site for friendly certified computer repair experts available 24-7 over the phone or in your home or business. Just call 1-800-591-1682. That's 1-800-591-1682. one 800 591 December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. Remember Pearl Harbor. Now you can buy, for the first time ever, the 75th anniversary Pearl Harbor legal tender solid gold coin from the U.S. Money Reserve. Call 1-800-329-6700 right now or go online to usmoneyreserve.com. 1-800-329-6700. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Okay, Chris is adopting new voices for every segment. We have no idea why he does that. I have an idea why The Walking Dead was done in Georgia. I mean, it's perfect location to have a bunch of uh, dead zombies walking around, I guess. I, anybody from Georgia out there in the listening audience, that was a joke. I didn't mean it. All right. Let us continue, sir. <laughs> it was. Well, you know, here's a question that I meant to ask earlier when we uh, when you brought up the 
90s TV show, Dark Skies. We've had Bryce uh, Zabel on the, on the show a number of times. And uh, John Leongard uh, has an article called 10 Essential Hollywood UFO Conspiracies. And one of the things in there that he, he mentions is something that you kind of alluded at uh, previously. He makes the observation the inclusion of such intricate ufological detail in dark skies apparently attracted the attention of real government UFO spooks, leading to a series of bizarre conversations with individuals claiming to be from U.S. Naval Intelligence who seem to have been monitoring the development of the TV show. For Zabel and, I guess, the producer Friedman, their fiction had suddenly become all too real, and the spook producers thought it best to have no further contact with their mysterious observers. Now, Bryce did kind of go into some uh, explanation about this, but he didn't. He kind of beat around the bush a little bit and didn't really give us, uh, I think, the bottom line on this. What do you know of this particular claim of of interest by the U.S. Naval Intelligence or the Office of Naval Intelligence and their interest in in the Dark Sky series? Well, I know what I only know what Bryce told me. Um, I've you know I've spoken to Bryce at length about this and uh, had some input from Brent Friedman as well. Um, this is co-creator on the show, and yeah, I got to say, you know, uh, I think you know I think Bryce does beat around the bush on this. To be honest, um, I, I think it makes him quite uncomfortable um, because the way he he's related it. And you know, uh, you know, I know Bryce might be listening to this, and and that's 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 fair enough. But but I think, you know, I think that the, what he related to me is very a very very clear example of a furtherance of this disinformation campaign, which was launched in the in the eighties. Because everything it ticks all the boxes. What you had was was, I mean, he he said that you know Bryce said that he and Brent Friedman were approached by these guys who they were really convinced at the time were the real deal. They said that they they spoke the language, they had the look, and they were, you know, they did not mess around. These guys were serious. And he said that, you know, they they turned up at Bryce's um, kind of rap party or, or that they were having for the for the show in 1996. And this was a private gathering at, at Bryce's house in Los Angeles. And there were about 200 guests all invited, all from the cast and crew, and uh, to kind of keep it in theme, they had um, badges, uh, kind of like as a, a wink and a nudge, and the badges that they wore were Majestic 12 badges with their face on them, and um, ID badges. And uh, so about, you know, into the night, they realized that there's some guy there who doesn't have a badge, so obviously hasn't been invited, but he's at the party, and he approaches... Bryce and Brent in the kitchen and says, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, um, we've seen your show and we, we like, you know, some of it and some of it you've got right, but some of it you've not got right at all. And we want to help you get it right. <laughs> and, uh, and they were like, who the hell are you? <laughs> and he was this kind of youngish, well, sort of late 20s, early 30s, preppy looking guy, they said. And uh, and he said uh, he said well it's not important you know who, who I'm with but we we can we can help you and and um and we'd like to talk to you further about about your show and uh, and Bryce was like you know how how has this guy even seen the show because they've only you know it's not been screened publicly there's only only been private screenings of it at this point and the guy seemed to even know the plot details of 
further episodes that hadn't even been filmed yet. Uh, he seemed to have very, very detailed knowledge of the show, and none of this was public knowledge. So they were a bit confused by this, but anyway... They, you know, well, they had to take like him seriously. Well, they, yeah, but they had 200 guests there, and Bryce was like, I can't deal with this now, I've got too, many, too much stuff going on. So um, they didn't really know what to think of it. And, and, and honestly, Bryce, um, although he's fascinated by the subject, he, he's more fascinated in it from a creative perspective. He's, he, he, he genuinely doesn't know what to believe when it comes to, you know, which is a good thing. I mean, he, but he generally doesn't kind of reach conclusions about what the nature of, of, of the official involvement is, you know? So he, he, he's not really conspiratorially minded, although he's, again, he's interested in that stuff from a creative perspective, but he's not actually a conspiracy theorist. I think he finds cons- conspiracy theory interesting, but he's not a conspiracy theorist. So it, it was deeply exciting to him at the time. Um, this guy approaching, that's the impression I get. And, uh, but then after the party had ended, um, this guy made contact with them again, I think, or he went and approached Brent and spoke to Brent more. And then Brent said, um, okay, let's arrange a meeting. And they had a meeting at Bryce and Brent's office, Hollywood. And uh, this time the guy showed up with two other guys, um, uh, another guy who was a young, another young guy and an older guy. And they said that they spoke to them for about two hours. They had this meeting for one of like two hours. And these guys told them all sorts of stuff about, you know, the government and UFOs and spun a whole very convincing, very layered, detailed narrative. And they, you know, they showed them, uh, uh, and then they were getting quite, and these guys apparently were getting really angry with Bryce and Ben, Brent, they were kind of like shouting at them at some points and they were kind of swearing at them and, you know, and saying, you guys don't even know what the hell you're messing with here. You can't just put this stuff on screen and, you know, we need to help you get it right. And they pulled out some vial of, um, of, of liquid gold or something and put it on the, put it on the table and said, you guys don't even have this, you know, you don't even have this in your show. Like you don't even know what the hell, what, what the hell you're dealing with. And they were like, well, they didn't even know what, to make of, of what, you know, of this, they were really confused and a little bit freaked out. And, uh, and the guy said, look, if you want to, we want another meeting with you, but we can introduce you to the big guy, to the boss. (laughs) And I I should clarify, these guys said that they were with naval intelligence. They said they were with naval intelligence. And, um, and Bryce and Brent said, these guys looked the part. They looked, um, like military guys, they look like special forces guys. They look, they said they look like seals, like, like Navy seals. Um, and they, you know, the, everything about it was totally convincing. And, uh, so, you know, and if it was a hoax, like for what, to what end, you know, what was the purpose of the hoax? Like if it's just a couple of actors, you know, pranksters or whatever, how would yeah. they get wind of the party? How would they get all of this information? How would they know about the script? You know, so, the indication is is that there probably was some government agency monitoring the show for, for obvious reasons, uh, because it's heavily explicitly ethological and does shape popular perception, and it, it's a potential disinformation opportunity to get involved with. So, so, so these guys, I mean, so they said, look, we can introduce you to the big guy, but um, but in uh, in order to do so, you're going to have to meet him where we say. And then they late, later told them that the meeting place was a cemetery at midnight. <laughs> oh, you're kidding me. <laughs> no. Oh, and, this is fascinating. See, I never heard any of these details. And so Bryce at that point said, right, that's it. I'm out. 
he said I'm, I'm out like I, I've got a wife and kids and I've got a show to run and I want nothing more to do with you I don't want any part of this and that was that and so uh, I think the guys called I think those military guys or whoever they were they called Brent maybe a couple more times after that but that was it okay huh. folks I'm liking that <laughs> oh yes that's fascinating what's fascinating is our second radio show after the Paracast to be able to get that show you have to be a member of the Paracast Plus, the one and only way, go to plus.theparacast.com, plus.theparacast.com. We have some show transcripts. We've introduced a video channel, and we give you the ad-free version of this show with higher-quality audio. One more segment, okay? One more segment with Robbie Graham, with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also print catalogs. Convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com We use mobile devices right against our bodies every day. But growing scientific evidence has emerged showing serious health risks associated with exposure to EMF radiation emitted from these devices. The solution is Defender Shield, the most effective mobile radiation shielding ever developed. Defender Shield blocks virtually 100% of EMF radiation from cell phones, tablets, and laptops and starts at just $64.99. Buy now at DefenderShield.com. For 10% off, use promo code GCN. DefenderShield.com, the worldwide leader in mobile radiation shielding. No other network provides the level of customer service we do. When it comes to radio advertising, we are your one-stop shop. And no matter how big or small your business is, we can help. Email us at advertise at GCNlive.com and an experienced advertising executive will help you take the first step towards driving more customers to your business or website. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. Serious investors and traders want to make 81% return in 60 seconds? Use the same secret algorithm professional hedge fund managers use to make billions of dollars of profits. Turn $250 into $4,903 in just seven clicks of a mouse. Our tool is so simple that my 82-year-old grandmother can use it to make insane stock market profits. Go to BigBuckRiches.com. Watch the free video before the hedge funds make us take it down. Go to BigBuckRiches.com. From the Robert Allen System, current returns not indicative of future results. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. 75 years ago, America suffered one of the worst moments in American history, the attack on Pearl Harbor. 
Now you can remember December 7, 1941, with the purchase of the first ever 75th anniversary Pearl Harbor Legal Tender Solid Gold Coin from the U.S. Money Reserve. Call 1-800-490-3200 right now for the official 75th anniversary Pearl Harbor Legal Tender Gold Coin from the U.S. Money Reserve, the only company authorized to distribute these 100% solid gold coins. Remember Pearl Harbor with this limited official gold release. 1-800-490-3200 or online at usmoneyreserve.com. You've seen crazy diets to lose weight. At GCN Team, our healthy body weight loss system simply neutrifies the body, bringing down cravings. It has been proven that nutritional deficiencies drive appetite for carbs, sugars, and fats. Lose weight the easy way. Find us at GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Fighting cravings is a fool's game. Give the body what it needs to be satisfied. Again, 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. This is Robert Hastings, author of UFOs and Nukes, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We don't have a lot of time left for Robbie Graham. I want to ask you a couple of quick questions, quick answers that we kind of left on the table and didn't get to. What attracted you to the subject of UFOs and film? Well, my interest in, in UFOs uh, predates my interest in, or my, my kind of academic interest in film. I've always been interested in UFOs since my childhood, always been interested in the weird and the wonderful, and uh, never really seen anything amazing in terms of UFOs. I've seen a few things that could, you know, loosely be defined as unidentified flying objects. But, uh, you know, for, for UFOs for me have always represented, you know, that, that and I think this is what a appeals to a lot of people when it comes to UFOs. Uh, they've always represented this sort of glimmer of hope for humanity. They offer us uh, a glimpse into this broader reality, into you know an expanded universe where anything's possible and where us primitive humans can have the chance to see past our superficial differences and recognize that we're all part of the same species in this tiny planet and this limitless universe. So, so that, was, that was something I think subconsciously drew, drew, drew me to, to this subject. Um, in my late teens I started to become interested in films because I started to study film at college and then I went to university and went on to do a master's degree and so so I academically just was was focused on on film and that became my real passion in life but my interest in UFOs never went away and then and then in my mid-20s I decided to start to merge my interests in UFOs in film because I did start to recognize that although people as I say people in the UFO field have a, a general interest in, in UFO movie. Very few people, or actually, or no one that I could see, was was looking exclusively at the interplay between UFOs and Hollywood in a serious way, with a grounding in 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 film studies. And so, what I saw was that two two other people had written books on the interplay between UFOs and Hollywood. But those books were were now today sort of sixteen, seventeen years out of date. Um, no one has written anything exclusively on this topic for a long, long time, uh, and so I think it just it needed it needed clarity. And I was I was interested in it. I was interested in this question. And then I started to do it as a PhD. I spent three years on it, and then ultimately decided to take it down a more populist route. And it turned it turned out to be the book. So it's it's something that's just kind of welled up in me for for a long time, and and I finally 
I finally got it out. <laughs> Chris. Uh, I was going to say a marriage made in uh, inner space or something. Um, <laughs> this is a question I wanted to ask uh, before we run out of time. This is a very good one from Eric the Red. And he says you can posit a continuum along which aliens are depicted in film. At one end would be aliens that are little more than mirrors of humanity and all our limitations. At the other end would be conceptions of the alien that thwart many or most of our familiar categories and basically defy comprehension. His question is, is there any trend in film over the past decades that depicts aliens as more unknown than known, more incomprehensible than familiar? And if you do see a trend, what explains it? And where are those cool films now? <laughs> I had great question. Um, there have been a handful. So, so it's not a trend. Uh, there, there have been there have been a number of films and TV products over the years which have sought to put across the image of the alien as being something that is more incomprehensible. Yeah, the that thing, is. classic. Right. Well, yeah, but I mean, it, it, but even even uh, even more bizarre than that, you know, so, so some things where where it's even harder to kind of put a, a label on on what we're dealing with in terms of just otherworldly intelligences that are not even corporeal. But th- those are the exception rather than the rule. The trend, which is is very clearly observable, is again, I, I've, I've referred to it earlier. The trend is that as a new generation of filmmakers has, has come to the fore, this generation of filmmakers has been born into a culture uh, where, where what was fringe culture is now pop culture. And so the UFO mythology is now part of our pop cultural landscape. And most people nowadays have some notion of what uh, Area 51 is, of what uh, a grey alien is, of what Roswell might represent, albeit skewed and distorted notions. But we all have these ideas, and we and we all see the UF, you know the so-called UFO footage on YouTube, and it's just part of the cultural landscape now. This wasn't always the case, and this has happened fairly rapidly over sort of a 10, 15 year period. But new filmmakers are being born into this into this landscape, and what they're doing is they're very consciously drawing from this rich mythology, and they're incorporating it into their narratives into the narratives to enrich those narratives um and so what they're doing is they're drawing from the archetypes they're drawing from the the, the iconography which is the classic flying sources although a lot of hollywood filmmakers go out of their way now not to have you know very stereotypical flying sources because they see that as being too cliched so they'll kind of often make you know creative uh, amendments to the to the source of image but it'll still be vaguely saucer shaped and then you'll have uh, you know, to a huge to a huge extent, you see the, the you know variants on the archetypal grey image. You know, the big head, the spindly body, the large eyes. A lot of the movies over the past few years, especially in the horror genre, uh, sci-fi horror genre, have drawn from this image. Uh, and so, what you're seeing is is the inclusion, much more so, of, of ufological detail in these in these narratives. And that's the trend. And the trend is, is also um, found footage now as well. So it, it's a conscious effort not only to blur fact and fantasy at a narrative level, but also uh, at a practical level in terms of filmmaking technique as well. So you're having faux documentary style movies being produced. They're a uh, lot where, cheaper. You know, the, and that's the reason that's 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 the main reason they're made. That's, that's, you know, that is the reason they're made because it's easier to to, to make them. They're very cheap to produce, uh, and the result, I mean, that I've observed is some people, perhaps less sophisticated cinema goers, really aren't sure what to believe when they see things like the Fourth Kind, which came out in two thousand and nine, which purported to be you know real events shown alongside dramatic reconstructions of, of these mass abductions in in, in Alaska. Um, that film was 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 
faux documentary style. And then you've had a number of other films like Alien Abduction, which came out in 2014, um, again, featuring greys and, and, and things like that. And so a lot of these films, the, the trend is, is that they're really incorporating the, the archetypal ufological imagery um, and themes, abduction, mutilate, cattle mutilate, all the, the dark themes, of course, because that's what sells. You know, um, you, you don't often get many films about benevolent contact or peaceful telepathic contact with space brothers anymore because it, it's harder to write creatively you know it's um it's uh it's hard as you say mostly you know films they dumb down now um in any genre fear cells fear cells fear cells and love is harder to sell when it comes to when it comes to a subject like this at least in this day and age even superman can't be the good guy. He has to kill people like in Man of Steel. Right. He killed General Zod. And as some of you already know, there's lots and lots of gratuitous violence in Batman v Superman. For listeners who want to follow through on more of the stuff that you do, Robbie Graham, would you tell them where they can find you? Yeah, my uh, my website is silverscreensources.uk, or you can just you know you can just search for it online, and you'll find it in any search engine. Silver Screen Sources. That's got my website links to the book, various links to other articles and things like that. I appreciate your your time. Are you planning a second book on the subject? On this particular subject, well, what I might do in a few years' time, in maybe two or three years' time, is do a revised and expanded edition of this book. Um, but it will only be a few a few amendments and a few more case studies. But that might just be a few years down the road. Um, and then I am dabbling <laughs> with the idea of doing a similar book, but on broader paranormal subjects. So, the, again, the fact and fantasy of, of paranormal, uh, of broader paranormal phenomena. Um, so Hollywood's engagement with all sorts of psychic and paranormal and cryptozoological phenomena. You can find us on Twitter. Go look for the Paracast. Look for the Paracast on Twitter. Look for two Paracast fan clubs on Facebook. One's a group, one's a community. Don't ask me to explain why you have to have one or the other. Just join both. We appreciate that. We'd appreciate it if you'd listen to our other radio show. It's called After the Paracast. What is it? Well, we have extended interviews with guests that continue from the main episode of the PowerCast. We have color commentary. We talk about the state of the world and our own state, depending on how things are. To become a subscriber, you have to join the PowerCast Plus at plus.thepowercast.com. That's plus.thepowercast.com. We also offer an ad-free version of this show. We remove 41 minutes of network ads. We also give you higher quality audio because it comes direct from our master recording that goes to the network we've got other features to come and of course the subscription rate is not that expensive our price cheap go to plus.thepowercast.com once again go to plus.thepowercast.com Robbie Graham Silver Screen Saucers is a fun book thank you for joining us on the Powercast thanks so much guys The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast. <laughs>